Welcome to the Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subchakjai Banker, and today I'm here with my summer movie squad. First, his hat makes him look two years younger. It's Greg Cass. How's it going, Greg? I didn't want to join a band, Jen, so I started my own. I'm good. <laughs> Glad to be here. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, we're going to be all over the place with references today because we're talking about the whole <laughs> summer. Um, and he doesn't play him as an alien, actually. He plays him as a metaphor. It's P.T. McNiff. How are you doing, P.T.? I have become <laughs> death destroyer of podcasts. How, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Glad to see you guys. Great. Uh, the, pro- the problem I actually had uh, was, wait. Which one? Which quotes did we use in our original reviews of some of these movies? Because <laughs> I didn't want to repeat them. It was because it was so long ago. Um, anyway, if you have if you haven't already uh, inferred, we are we are talking about summer movies. We're doing kind of a summer movie retrospective before the onslaught of fall movies keep us busy doing individual reviews. Uh, we you know so we're doing kind of like a like a kind of a mini summer awards uh, retrospective. I think Greg used the, the, the term superlatives that probably is actually the most accurate. Um, so that's, that's what we're, we're all about today. And hopefully it'll be a nice way to kind of recap and, and, you know, now that more time has passed, kind of reflect on the movies that we saw over the summer. Uh, but first we will do a quick, but important movie news check-in. And I think that was the first time Greg has been here when we've had a bumper music. <laughs> he looked very confused. <laughs> well, uh, it also is like, you know, I expected like the CNN breaking news, like, but it was very chill. It's more like, uh, well, Jimmy Buffett, uh, sorry, uh, RIP, uh, oh, like that kind of group. Soon. So sorry, go for it. <laughs> Talk to me about your news. <laughs> well, Jimmy Buffett died uh, over the summer. <laughs> so that's our first bit of news. <laughs> Uh, um, well, so I think the biggest news that just broke in like officially broke today, there was sort of rumblings of it yesterday, I want to say, but the, the, there has been a tentative agreement that the WGA has agreed to, right? There's like, no one knows the exact terms yet. I don't think they've really come out with it yet, but there's, this is the first sort of actual sign that the strike at least for the writers, might be ending. Excited? Yay! Are you optimistic? And and they actually <laughs> they they pulled them off the picket line today. So it's you know when like oh, you said real. when those rumblings started yesterday, it was like uh, I'm waiting till I hear something official. But it's far enough along that they took them off the picket line today, essentially saying let's wait. And it sounds like the lawyers are hammering out the language before they actually release the terms, but. It certainly sounds very positive, which is great. I mean, it would be nice if it was both at once some big overall deal because we're still not going to get things back in production. But we'll take we'll take progress. And especially if if the writers are happy with the deal they're getting, then this is fantastic news. And I think there's some hope that. After they have they're going to do the deal sort of back to back, where it was like we had to focus on one to get, you know, instead of trying to do both at the same time, while as audience members and fans, it would have been better to just say, yes, these are both off the table. I think that the the hope is that they will do a similar, we're shutting the big decision makers into a room and having them, uh, having them just hash it out uh, for, for a few days with the uh, actors once they get the writer's guild uh, in full agreement and voting to accept this deal. 
yeah, we keep in mind that the writers have been on strike longer, right? They they started theirs first, and then the, the and then SAG after followed. So so it makes sense that there's you know that's going to be a similar time time sequence. But I was really surprised because it really yeah, like Greg, I was very skeptical when they were like, we have met, right? There was some press release mm-hmm. that was like a joint statement from both parties being like, we have met, and there is an offer on the table. And then I was like, sure, like that doesn't hasn't really panned out before. <laughs> But then today they were like, no, it's it's there's there's an agreement. They're working that it has been accepted. It's it's being worked through. So that's that's really awesome. How are you two now feeling about next summer? Because I think if the strike went till say December, if we still weren't in production, none of us would be excited about next summer. I I know uh, you're both fans of the the film cast. They were saying like they finished their summer movie wager, and they're like, we'll see if we do this next year if there's <laughs> right. enough to, TBD <laughs> to actually be able to do it. Yeah, and I think that was you know at that time a fair assessment. And and if somehow the the actor are stuck for more months that could be there but if let's just say you know next week's nope uh sunday is october less than a week till october uh do you think if this strike is over very early october do you think we have a good summer movie season next summer or is it still gonna hurt us too bad i would assume that the movies coming out next summer have probably mostly filmed it's a lot of post-production but you know they need pickups they'll need obviously promotion so yeah i think that it's going to be how much they need to stretch out the to fill the gap that is created by this downtime uh, so yeah i think if they get it by like early november that they'll it will might be a little bit more scattered a little bit more sporadic there might be things that go to the theater that would have just been on streaming normally in order to sort of fill out a theatrical slate, which might uh, be interesting, but also might lead to a little, uh, some dips in quality, uh, in or at least dips in what we might expect in terms of tentpole level releases. Uh, but I think that, yeah, it'll be a, I think it'll be an okay summer, at least in terms of number of movies on the schedule, quality-wise, who knows. But uh, it'll be an okay summer if they can get the actors back by November because once it hits Thanksgiving, very few productions mm. are up and running because they kind of take most of December off for holidays and wait until January anyway. So if they can't get a few weeks in November, then I think it, it is going to start to really stretch things. I think, yeah, I think maybe we see a bigger ripple effect in TV would be my guess, mm. right? Um, especially with, with writers, right? Because I think their issues were a little bit more affecting television than television's writer rooms than, than films. But so, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting, but I mean, I feel like, and this is our segue. I feel like this summer was really good. <laughs> we had a really <laughs> solid movie summer. Um, so no one else has any other news. That was like the big news. I want to make sure. <laughs> I got my yeah. tickets to killers of the flower moon. Oh, hey. wait, those are out now. They're at least they were. They were with my season pass. I'm going to the first showing mm. Thursday afternoon, whatever, October 19th, I think. Okay. Uh, I got to get on nice. this. 206 minutes. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be, be long. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Uh, I did not book those tickets, but uh, a good friend of mine decided that he and I were both too normal and well-adjusted, so convinced me to go see the director's cut of Midsommar, which I think is also clocking in somewhere around there. So, uh, you know, there are a few movies where, like, 
like I actually feel changed after having watched them and Midsommar is one of them. So that, that'll be my October horror treat to myself. Uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll do the Oscar bait as uh, we, we move through the season. So nice. um, I, I'll just wrap up the strike by saying I've been watching the Marvels. The Marvels is sticking to November. And that to me means Disney's pretty confident. They have Deadpool three for that opening May summer weekend. Oh yeah. Um, which I think was deep into fi- filming, but was not done filming. So I think if that, if the Marvels doesn't move, then Disney feels good going into next summer. If somehow the Marvels moves again, see the July Happy Meal toys that came out when the movie was supposed to be in theaters originally. Uh, but uh, we'll see. So, you know, I think this year's Oscars, good shape next year's summer. We got to go, but you're right. It what why that's so painful is this was a really good summer and I feel like a lot of people got used to going to the movies again for the first time after COVID and so it's great we can be here tonight and kind of celebrate that and and look back at the fun we had hopefully and that we'll have next summer. We'll see. <laughs> All right, so I think the way that we've set this up is we have a series of categories of these superlatives or summer awards and what we'll do is we'll rotate through the three of us and that person will sort of take the lead and offer up some suggestions and then we'll debate uh, which which ones we think are, are the most deserving of these of these superlatives or awards. So I have the first category and is this is this deserved better. So which film should have gotten more attention or just kind of got lost in the shuffle of release or like no one went to go see it and they really should have. Um, so my my pick for this probably would be past past well i mean the real one is theater camp because i remember in our barbenheimer episode that barbara like it just had the unfortunate circumstance of coming out right after barbie and oppenheimer came out and so i think because <laughs> that it had no chance uh and it's a really solid movie and it, it is streaming on hulu now i think i saw so that's when i want to kind of make a plug for it's like really heartwarming and funny and is is a good i think would would if people knew about it, would play really well at home. And people can watch it and then go listen to our episode with Antonio mm. when we talk about it. So then they, they get really twice as much entertainment uh, as they would have with just with just the movie. We uh, really should th- have just structured this as a clip show of just like... <laughs> 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 no, I'm kidding. No one wants that. Uh, but sorry, go ahead, PT. Oh, I was going to say, since you almost said it, I will take uh, the, the other option, what you said, which was past lives, which... I guess that's sort of from a different perspective of, I think it got a lot of attention when it came out as the sort of the indie movie of the moment. Uh, But now that we are heading into the fall season, it kind of feels like it's fallen off of a lot of radars. We talked about this in our Oscar, uh, two early Oscar preview episodes that it's just not really being discussed anymore, apart from its fans trying to hang on to hope that it will get uh, it gets some nominations beyond probably original screenplay, but uh, I think that we all thought that movie was really special and had it like ranked really high, but it's, I don't think it got as many people to see it as maybe it needed to. And hopefully it will come out uh, at some point on streaming and uh, people will find it and fall in love with it. And it will have another life for going into the, the Astral award season. That's a 24, right? I believe so. Let me double check. I just feel like it's useful to tell people where these are going to end up if they, if they want to go see them. Um, cause H- it is well, a, 
It is right. So that's those usually end up on who? No, that's Neon. Neon usually ends up on Hulu. Where's A twenty four get movies go? That's a good question. Uh, I th- okay. I I always find them on Canopy, uh, which I'm like the only person in the world who's a Canopy power I user. I should use it more. Yeah. Yeah. So Canopy is the one that people can get through their public library or university library if you're fortunate like us. And uh, they have some kind of deal where I, they even have everything everywhere now. Like it's not it's like they have an old standing deal that they get all the A24, such as Midsommar. That's where I watched Midsommar for the first time. And uh, it uh, so I will find it there eventually. But um, I think A24 can sometimes go through uh, Hulu to get there, but not always. Like you're right. Neon has a the similar deal with Hulu that they'll always be found there. Yeah, it looks like it's it's uh, they're scattered between Hulu, Max, and Paramount Plus because of Showtime. Showtime has some. Oh, uh, yes. I yes, see. yes, yes. Uh, those are both good picks. I mean, I think um, the theater camp they thought maybe they had a chance at counter programming, but Barbie just nobody. There was no counter programming to Barbie. Everybody saw Barbie. Um, and one of my favorite games of summer was listening to middle aged white dudes justify how they ended up at Barbie. Like, well, you know, I didn't want to see it, but, uh, you know, the missus. And I'm like, dude, just go oh. see Barbie and get over yourself. So yeah. uh, so uh, that's a good it, choice. Uh, it stars yeah, only the most good. attractive woman on the planet. Like, yeah, sorry yeah. you had to justify to yourself. <laughs> and like uh, 10 other incredibly attractive women. But, you know, there there are attractive men in it. So you might feel threatened uh, by a fur coat and abs. Um, and I will just say, uh, I completely agree that past lives deserve better. Um, it, it just barely reached the level of, um, on demand where it's like a $6 rental. Cause I had a couple friends waiting, you know, it had a very long $20 rental and you know that I, I don't know who's renting these things for $20 a piece, but it doesn't seem that effective to me that there was no buzz about it until I think it finally gets down to that lower level and, and people are like, yeah, I'll throw six bucks in and see see what it is. So hopefully there's a little bubble. That's only been the last two weeks or so. So I, uh, there's hope there. Um, you know, uh, from our list of nominees, I would always, always talk about Asteroid City and my beloved Wes Anderson, who's premiering four films next week. Maybe that belonged in film news. Uh, but what I will choose is not on the list. I'm going to say Mission Impossible in uh, Dead Reckoning, colon, comma semicolon <laughs> ellipsis part one exclamation point um, and yeah, when i say this deserved better this was purely the studio completely misreading this situation and the fact that they stuck to their release date they saw barbenheimer coming they knew they were losing the premium format screens tom cruise begged for longer did not get it and they stuck with their their release date it was just a huge miscalculation on their part. Um, if you had instead moved that movie like mid August, once you saw what Barbenheimer was going to do, um, you still might not have gotten the premium format. But if if your main competition was Blue Beetle, I think it would have done incredible business and much better. It did have some legs eventually, but it only barely uh, made more than um, part two, which I think was the previous uh, lowest grossing installment. So, um, you know, hey, uh, I think they thought this was Top Gun again, and it was never going to be that. So they made this horrible miscalculation. So my vote is Mission Impossible deserved better from its studio. 
I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is wild that they didn't move it back. The downside would have been if it came out in mid August, none of the actors could have been promoting it. And Tom Mm. Cruise might've eaten his own arm off because I don't know (laughs) if he can have a mission impossible movie come out and not be out there. But uh, you know, they could have also recorded a lot of that in advance. Mm. Um, Mm. Great. So our, our next category uh, was, uh, you know, it's sort of maybe moving from, oh, this deserved better to we deserved better. It is the most disappointing. <laughs> uh, what's the most disappointing film that came out? And I mean, the, the top one on our list is, is the one that I'll, I'll say, even though I have not. Didn't still, you not see this? Not seen it. I still haven't seen it. It's been on Max for like two or three weeks, but because it was so disappointing and everyone I know who saw it was like, don't. Just don't bother. It's the Flash, <laughs> uh, and uh, the I can't believe that they brought Michael Keaton back to be Batman, and people were like, "It's it's not great," because that's that is incredibly disappointing that they they finally tapped into the sense of nostalgia, uh, and they tapped into the possibility of setting up future movies with Michael Keaton, and then they scrapped it, uh, refilmed the ending with him again, scrapped it again, uh, and then they brought in George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still not going to use George Clooney anymore because <laughs> they're like... just resetting the whole thing. So it's just what a waste. What a, what a waste of what lingering positivity there was for the old Batman movies as potential path to the future. Greg, did you see this? I feel like I saw this on your letterbox. No, I still haven't watched this. So um, I try to keep up with the highest grossing films of the year and see kind of how deep into that list I can get by December 31st. Uh, If I put an asterisk on Sound of Freedom, no thank you, uh, then uh, the highest grossing movie I have not seen is The Flash. And I think it's number 19 right now or last time I I looked at the box office. So um, I will say I never had high hopes for this, but the piece that almost got me to go was when they were like it's the best superhero film since the dark knight it's changing movie and like even ben affleck was out on smartless i listened to his interview and he's like you know this is actually pretty good i'm sad i'm leaving batman after this one it's like what how did they miss so hard on that (laughs) uh expectation so since you're the one who saw it maybe you can tell us like what what happened with their pr they just they just oversold it you know what i mean like because because when i actually saw it it's not as terrible as a lot of people said it it it, it's fine you know what i mean like it's it's a it's a function it's fine it's dc fine i think is the phrase i used with somebody when i was talking to them about this movie you know i mean like (laughs) like considering other dc movies like this is not bad it's not that bad it's fine it's watchable um but what happened was yeah like the the cinemacon hype of like all the early reviews being like, this is the best superhero movie. This, you know, this is, this is DC Spider-Man, no way home. Like all of these, these grand claims then got me super excited for it. And then I was disappointed. Right. Cause I was, and I was like, why did they even bother? Why did, what, if you had just mm-hmm. laid low and said, yeah, there's another superhero movie we've got coming. This is like, you know, this is the end of the, the, pre like the before james gunn takes over this is kind of like the remnants of of what we were finishing up like if they just kind of like underplayed it i feel like it would have been fine um there's yeah i feel like and i feel like the question of like why did it flop so badly 
is still a little open because I think I've heard the argument for this is the sign of superhero fatigue. I think a lot of people think that the Ezra Miller factor deterred people. Mm. I think some others were like, this is a very DC specific problem where people have just lost faith in DC and they're just like, why would I go see another DC movie? They're always bad. Right. Like, like so, um, so I, I feel like it's a really interesting postmortem that people could do about it. And no one seems to really know for sure. But I think that the, that the hype that they tried to build up for it, whatever Kool-Aid they gave out at whatever party that ever got everyone being like, this is the best thing ever. It just totally backfired. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, based on the early reactions of the, the screenings for the new Aquaman movie, it's not going to get any better for DC. Yeah. Uh, not to mention uh, a movie that may come up during the course of this uh, th- this list of things is uh, Blue Beetle, which sort of came and went and wasn't really discussed much. But it, I, I was wondering, I wasn't quite at, because I remember, Greg, you being on a podcast, I think it was Rebel Base Card, a, a, a Rebel Base Card episode, where you mentioned that I don't know about the Flash. This isn't going to be my thing. Like way back in like January <laughs> or February, like during the Bad Batch uh, episodes, and you know I wasn't that clued into it, but there was a part of me that, as the hype kept sort of piling up, of basically like, well, DC just has to release it because it's so good. They have no choice, even though <laughs> it's it's, a, it's the Snyderverse. The Snyderverse is over. They're kind of stuck because this movie's great. And once this it came out that it ended with this sort of twist, I, yeah, spo- I spoiled the end of the movie uh, in, in summarizing <laughs> it because I thought I was the only one who hadn't seen it. Sorry, Greg. Uh, but that it, was, no it ended with him realize, being in a new universe with a different Batman. Yeah. Uh, that It's like, oh, why it wasn't that setting up the James Gunn universe? Like why? Like why wasn't that? Like oh, and here's the Superman that's going to be in the James Gunn Superman movie at the end of this movie to get the audience hyped for the future movie, which makes me wonder if James Gunn was like, I don't want to be associated with this movie. Like I'll hype it, I'll I'll, I'll help the team, but no, I'm not getting my my stuff associated with it. I don't think it's the greatest superhero movie since Dark Knight. Good luck with all of you, uh, and and Godspeed on the journey you're going. You're going on. The th- the thing is, the what you mentioned isn't even really that big of a spoiler because to me, the biggest problem with the movie and what made it kind of pathetic to watch was that it's so it reeks of desperation of trying to chase Marvel's success, where they're like mm. of the of the the multiverse factor and the connectivity and like oh here are all these characters from di- different versions of the same heroes and they're all showing up. Every, you know what I mean? Like it just and it was so. It, it to me it felt like they were doing that just because they knew that people they thought people liked it you know what i mean and it wasn't serving the story at all it was just cut it seemed very random and like like they're trotting out all these like past de- iterations of dc heroes and you're just like what is happening right now um that's how i felt at the very end of the movie i was just like this seems this it, they don't know what they're they don't know what they're doing they're just like wait is this right is this like this is what you want right and they're not thinking about how to tell like and the because to me, the good parts of the movie were when they focused on just the Flash, and it was like just a Flash movie, and then they started trying to do all, the, all this other stuff, and it really got out of control. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, and but we've gotten that before because the 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 Snyderverse ended with like a post credit scene with was it like spoilers if you care about this at all? Was Jared wasn't it like Jared Leto as the Joker or something? Well, yeah, he was back from Suicide Squad, the first Suicide mm. Squad movie, right? In the but in the Snyder it was, like dyst- it was like a dystopian Gotham or something. You know what I mean? Like it was like Mad Max Gotham. 
Yeah. You don't. Something yeah. Like, and I, I mean, and I, they never I, I, I followed up on it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Whoa! I I just had a dream that I was suddenly very interested in the Snyder Cut. What was that? Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Um, Not yet, Craig. Not will... yet. Joke, joke comes later. Jokes come later. I just, oh, sorry. I just really, I really like Batman, and so like I just watch all these movies, like even though I know they're not going to be very good. So that's why I've seen them. <laughs> you, you also know that they approached Christian Bale, and he was like, "No." Yeah. And then they were like, "What about with this? Like tri- triple the money?" Hell no! I absolutely <laughs> will not do this. Uh, and I, uh, so. what did you, what did you guys have for? Uh, uh, Jed, what did you have for a disappointing movie? So, so th- this is going to upset both of you, but I put and it, it already did because I saw the response in the Google Doc from PT was first of all, how dare you? But when I was thinking <laughs> of sort of this disappointment as a relative calculation, right? Of like what I was, what was I the most excited for going into the summer, and then what what did the worst comparatively? You know what I mean? Like I even just my reaction to the movie because Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, a movie I enjoyed. Let's be clear. <laughs> Um, I have not seen it as many times as Greg, but, (laughs) but it was a movie I really enjoyed and I cried at the end and like, you know, it was, it was, you know, but I think in terms of how that film did in terms of box office and aside from Greg single-handedly keeping it afloat, uh, movies, um, and box office and just critical reception, I feel like instead of being a really huge celebration of this franchise, it ended up kind of being like a fizzling effect. Um, and, and so to me, I feel like that, that's why I wanted to put it in this category because going like, if I, if I traveled back in time, you know, not to go back to the flash, but mm-hmm. if I traveled back in time, <laughs> entered the speed force and <laughs> to, to talk to myself before I saw this movie, I would be like, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm so excited. And then like no one else, not many other, not enough people to my liking had the same reaction after they saw it. Right. Well, Jen, as someone who hates Indiana Jones, I'm wondering what you think about the fact <laughs> that you went to time travel with The Flash when you're talking about a movie that has time travel. I know. I know. You could have just used The Dial of Destiny. That's, that's how little you think about this movie. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, no. Wow. You're right. All right. Uh, end call. End call. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think what you're saying is absolutely fair that, you know, the question, the category is not about what was so bad. I saw some very bad movies this summer, but you're saying what is the delta between expectations right. and outcome? Um, you know, I think in our Indiana Jones preview podcast, we kept saying we want it to be really good. As long as it's better than Crystal Skull, we'll be satisfied. And I think it cleared that bar. And um, everybody except my eight-year-old thinks that's a very low bar. He still puts Kingdom of the Crystal Skull Aww. number one. <laughs> with a bullet that's his favorite um so I'm, I'm sorry i'm trying to raise a good son this is the best i've got uh we'll work on it but um uh so i do think um that is fair and you know we i just referenced the film cast summer movie wedger a lot of them put that at like number one or number two and it did i mean sound of freedom for all its problematic everything outgrossed it so that has to be disappointing and we can think a bit about this since we're in a kill your babies mood i'm gonna say i also experienced this a little bit with asteroid city um it's again not a bad movie in my book but it's the delta and my expectations Mm. were very very high i expect a lot of my wes anderson films and there was a moment right before it came out that some of the early critical response was like, this is his masterpiece. It's the apotheosis. And the, the conversation was more like grand Budapest hotel and a best picture nominee and all that nomination and, and so on. 
Um, oh, there's nowhere, there's no universe where that happens now, right? It, it certainly didn't get that reception. And, um, you know, I, I ended up at a uh, barbecue somewhere in early August and all a bunch of nerdy middle-aged white dudes. And we were like, let's talk about Asteroid City. I think I was wearing my Asteroid City t-shirt. So uh, my cards <laughs> were on the table. And still the whole crowd was like, yeah, kind of was awful. Kind of gave up. He's so far up his own but that he doesn't know uh, what he's doing anymore. And, you know, it was kind of heartbreaking and maybe I don't feel that low about it. But even when we talked about it, there was some moment in our text message exchanges where I think PT said, this film is either brilliant or just so stupid. It doesn't make sense. And we're <laughs> pretending it does. And, and I do feel that way at times where it's like, yeah, it, it, so much of it kind of didn't quite come together that um, I don't blame anybody who says this wasn't my Wes Anderson. So, so it, it pains me, but that would be my, uh, you know, um, disappointing form of disappointment for me. I forgot what category we were in. I'm like, which one was it again? Yeah, it's most disappointing. disappointing. Yeah. I'm still remembering yeah. Asteroid City pretty fondly. I think out of the three of us, maybe I was the highest on it. Um, That's possible. I, I think I think of it fondly, but I also don't think of it often. And I haven't gone back mm. and watched it again, which I mm. think speaks to the fact that it hasn't maybe stuck as much. Uh, and so given that, and since I did give maybe a crappy answer in saying uh, The Flash was the most disappointing, a movie I didn't see, uh, I will join <laughs> the baby killing of uh, of the tenor of the rest of the conversation. And I'll put, I'll put Dead Reckoning Dead part Reckoning? one. Yeah. Only in so mm. far as, mm. again, I didn't go back and see it in the theater. Although I, did, I unlike Dial of Destiny, which I did go back to see. Uh, and, you know, it's it's it was great. I had a really good time. It didn't reach the heights of the previous trilogy of Mission Impossible movies, which I had told myself I didn't expect it to, but it didn't stop me from being like, it wasn't as good as those last few. <laughs> and so you're know, kind of feeling it on the inside. Mm-hmm, so it, wasn't, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like a huge letdown, but I'll put it on the table uh, for, for the discussion. Mm-hmm. I, I do think uh, the, the performance of Indiana Jones, like the movie itself, I'm very happy with what we got the fact that it sort of flopped and was kind of the first of the movies to flop. Like if it had been, if if, if Mission Impossible on that one had switched and it performed Mm. the same way, then I feel like people wouldn't have been talking about like being so happy to shovel dirt on the grave of the Indiana (laughs) Jones franchise. Uh, So maybe that wouldn't have hurt as much, but that sort of discourse was, uh, was certainly a bummer during the Mm. summer. I mean, the fact that we only in our Google doc came up with two movies for this category, I feel like spe- again speaks to the strength of the summer overall and how we how we personally enjoyed it. Right? Maybe not everyone else was on board, or how we picked our spots in what we saw. Right. 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 <laughs> uh. Well, and and I certainly have, like I said, I have some movies we'll bring up as as these categories go on that are much worse movies, but I didn't expect much from them, so they kind of get a pass. Whereas these, I think, all three of our choices with the exception of Jen and the flash uh, we, we expected a lot from them. And so when it didn't reach those heights, that was disappointing. Um, and, you know, I will just say in defense of Indiana Jones, me and the many times I went to the theater with, uh, I was like the youngest person in the theater by probably 20 years. And those older folks had a great time with me. <laughs> so uh, as we saw it, uh, I don't think any of them saw it more than once, but there was a way in which I think they just couldn't for Indiana Jones capture um, the 
the the young crowd, right? If if you're younger than about forty, I don't think that character means a lot to you, and so uh, it just didn't capture them. Right. Um, and I guess maybe my yeah. hopes were pinning on like like reigniting people's interest in the franchise in a way that it just didn't happen at all. So yeah, the, mm. the fact that no one cares about Indiana Jones other than us. Right. <laughs> or is really what was the disappointment? I, I think I think there is a degree of we have gotten unrealistic expectations because of like James Bond, Star Wars, maybe Marvel movies, although the Marvel movies have only really sort of had a generation to exist that these are movies that will exist over, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. People will, new generations will keep showing up and being like, yes, I want to be involved in this when, you know, maybe it is just our generation and the one before before us who are going to like these movies. They came out at the right time for us. And that's okay. That people under Mm. the age of 30 are like, ah, whatever. Those things that are on TNT that my dad likes or my uncle (laughs) or, or my aunt or my mom, I don't mean to gender it, but uh, you know, that there's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. And we got a movie that closes that door. It would have been great. I think, maybe it was unrealistic to think that suddenly it would be another couple of decades of content coming our way. Now I know we have this, this is going out of order, but I feel Uh like we're already starting to talk about franchise killer. Mm. Sure. So do we want to do that one first and then go back to franchise? Okay. So, so yeah, we've already kind of covered a little bit of this with, with I think two movies, the flash and Indiana Jones, and the Dow Destiny. But we had we came up with a category for which summer, and I have to give credit. This was inspired by Matt Bellany of the Town, who did a box like a summer box office. So it was very specifically tied to like which movies made money and not which movies were good. Um, but the, he he had a similar category that was like where they talked about like which which of these which of these movies did so poorly they're not going to make anymore. Um, we can kind of pivot so it's more like which of these movies is just like makes it so that maybe this is the last one because it wasn't as good <laughs> as some of the other ones. But um, my my nomination for this is uh, Fast X. Uh, and I say that like really unqualified to, to, to make that call um, because I only watched the first a- act of Fast X and I've never actually seen another Fast and Furious movie. Um, but it was enough for me to be like, let's not, they shouldn't make more of these. Um <laughs> <laughs> it was just like first of all i had a lot of questions and i'm like maybe that's some it's partly because i've never watched any of these movies that's fair right but i feel like i i just i couldn't tell you what the plot was really and you know jason momoa had accent work that was just all over the place and the whole th- I'm like oh they the memes are the memes are real like they really do reference this concept of family constantly <laughs> like, it was just, like it was confounding um and I, and I have I have friends who are big car people uh who love this franchise like transformers so- you you're friends with some transformers <laughs> are they Autobots or Decepticons like twice if they're Decepticons <laughs> it'll change my answer to one of these questions <laughs> uh, um, yeah I don't know if that I don't I, right, I can't I, I don't know someone take this over I just I I was yeah. just so I was so confounded when I started watching Fast X that I was just like how how did we make it to this many movies like this and there's so many <laughs> famous people like Charlize Theron Oscar winner 
right? Yeah. Charlize Theron is in this movie doing things. Like I, I, yeah. You didn't even get I to Helen know. Mirren. Oh, I did. That's when right? I stopped. I was like, I can't oh. do this anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> Helen Mirren is here and like, she's clearly here just for the paycheck. She's pat, she's patting uh, Vin Diesel on the back. And I have no idea why I was just <laughs> like, she's consoling him. And I'm just, uh, I appreciate the implication Charlie's Theron's there for love. She's there for like devotion to the franchise. <laughs> the joy of like, Helen Mirren. She's there for the I, I, I it is hilarious to I mean, to watch I I've never seen Fast X, but I have seen later entries and think about the first movie was just about drag racing. It was illegal mm. street racing and that's it. Stealing DVD players. That's yes. the level of crime they were at. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh Brie Larson is in this movie? Yeah. Not good. Uh, he's the daughter of somebody who was killed before, Kurt Russell. Uh, so is sure. involved with this. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I guess the, the burden falls to me to be the representative of someone who's seen all the Fast and Furious movies. And I will preface that comment by saying I have seen them all because I did the top 100 grossing movies of all time on Letterboxd, which involves four or five of them, but not like the first three. It's like a big chunk in the middle. So I watched them all to keep up with this. Uh, this is absolutely, I will nominate something else to keep the conversation going. This is absolutely my pick. This movie was atrocious. And what makes me so happy to think about Jen sitting down to watch this is you probably had no idea that the first 20 minutes of this film, spoilers if you haven't seen it, it's on Peacock. Go, uh, don't go stream it now. Uh, the first 20 minutes of this movie are Jason Moa being digitally inserted into Fast and Furious 5. So the whole opening section where they're like cool chase scene with Vin Diesel and Paul Walker uh, dr dragging a safe. That's all like classic. This is like the high life of the Fast and Furious franchise. And then they do the like cut to the car in the background. And it's Jason Momoa being like, darn you and, and you punks and moving on. And it makes no sense and also destroys one of the better films in the previous franchise, which is just an awful way to go out. Um, my The part of this I hate is I think at any time, there were only two actors in the same location at the same time. So there are constantly movie scenes where there are two people who are not acting off each other. They're clearly alone in a blue screen, just talking as if Vin Diesel is across the room and so on. And then they're like, people want more. So let's throw in Helen Mirren again. And Brie Larson, like you said, and Pete Davidson. People like Pete Davidson, right? Um, so it makes no sense. It's atrociously made. The the difference between that and Mission Impossible, where Mission Impossible is like, here's Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell driving through Rome. Fast and Furious is like, here are some drone shots of Rome and then some actors on a blue screen who were clearly on an Atlanta back lot and never in the city of Rome. And they even have, um, I believe it's the Spanish steps. There's an action sequence in both Mission Impossible and Fast 10 uh, with that. But then the insult on top of all of that is you don't know till the very end. It's a part one. It is not a complete movie. So they get to the very end and it ends with Vin D Diesel driving a, a car off a dam as the dam explodes. And that's the end of the movie. See you maybe in three summers for, and this is what's infuriating, not Fast 11, but Fast 10 Part 2 will be the next uh, film. 
But Plus post-credit sequence of The Rock and Gail Godot. Because yes, they quit the franchise, but then they got a new paycheck. And so they're both coming back as well in case there weren't enough. But yeah. The <laughs> fact that it's not the next one's not called Fast X Point V is very disappointing. People <laughs> <laughs> um, not know that it was a part two. Like, did they did they not? Because I feel like a bunch of movies fell into this category. Spy in across the Spider-Verse. Right. People were like, oh, wait, there's another one. Like, this is part one of two. You know, Dead Reckoning was very clear in its marketing. They kept they really leaned into the part one, I think. <laughs> right. It's in the title. Yeah. But did, did Fast X... I didn't know. I don't think people knew. I, I mean, it had been screened. So I think maybe word had started to leak out, but it wasn't a part of the publicity. Story. Right. It wasn't part I of the. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was sort of like Spider-Verse where they announced it as. There's, Fast X is going to be two movies with the thing of this This may be the end, or at least Vin Diesel's end in mm-hmm. terms of the franchise. Uh, in, in the same way that it felt like Dead Reckoning Part 1 and 2, maybe this is Tom Cruise's end. But then you didn't hear about it for a while, and then they were like, it's Fast X. And you're like, oh, maybe it's its own movie. And then it came out and everyone was like, nope, they changed nothing. They just changed <laughs> the title. And uh, they they left us with a cliffhanger. And no one's excited about the there, next one. There's a no scene. One, there's a scene. We can stop talking about this after this. Uh, there's a scene, <laughs> the one with Brie Larson, and this is right before I stopped, where she's talking to some other person who's taken over whatever government agency is part of this franchise, and he's he's basically going through. I I assume a lot of the plot points of the previous and clips from the previous movies being like. And they're criminals and they do this and they did this and we keep letting them get away with it and they need to be held accountable. And like because the movie had done, done such a bad job of like setting this up, I was just like, he kind of makes sense. Like, why are why, like, I don't understand why. Why did they let all the Brie Larson's only response is like, because they've helped us keep our hands clean or something like that. And I'm just like, what is happening? Um, yeah. So. I feel bad. I should have gone. I should have started with Tokyo Drift. If that's the one people recommend. Is no? Greg's shaking. Don't his head. don't do it. It's, it's, it's not worth your is it time. Is five? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. No, I'm saying right. don't. Just you're fine. Live <laughs> a happy life. Not seeing these movies. Like you've got a taste of them. There are some good installments. The one other kind of narrative thing I just find absolutely. Uh, fascinating in a car crash type way is you know unfortunately the actor Paul Walker died and so they couldn't include him in the franchise and they made the choice which I think was noble in some ways to not kill off his character but to have him kind of drive off in the sunset he had a wife and a child in the movie he had filmed last so it was like he's going off to a farm to live with that family the problem is now they've escalated these plots so they call everybody back in including his wife and i think his child is in this one and they all keep having to come up with reasons why he's not coming it's like you know your uncle wanted to be here but like he's just got to stay safe it's like literally the end of the world the stakes couldn't be higher and it's like call in everybody we know except like let's just let him chill on the part he's done his part and it's just these loopholes are just absolutely insane from a respectable choice to now just like insanity. So, uh, I'll, so I will push us further along, right? Because we, we should stop talking so much about bad movies. Um, I'm going to take my nominee off this list. It probably would have been Fast 10. I'm going to take The Little Mermaid. Um, these live action Disney remakes should probably never have been 
made. Uh, I still don't understand how you don't just go watch that movie if you love that animated movie. But um, I did not watch the Peter Pan one that went straight to Disney Plus earlier this year, which I understand is also terrible. But the Little Mermaid sucked the life out of me. It took everything kind of joyous about that movie, um, uh, about, you know, the Little Mermaid is great music, bright colors, wonderful visuals. You know, my sister and I used to do dances in our living room to Under the Sea, just like so in love with that and rewind the VHS and start it over. And it made it all drab and muddy and terrible. And, you know, I think everybody who criticizes this movie always goes out of their way to point out it is not the fault of Haley Bailey, who uh, did a fantastic job as Ariel and the awful people on the internet can go shove it but she was perfect as ariel did a great job with the singing but in an absolutely terrible movie and it just it really i it was again in pursuit of seeing all the highest grossing movies i was like i gotta see little mermaid so i went like alone to a matinee and i'm like oh god greg like what have you done like you really got to uh and i i i will talk more about a specific moment that brought out those emotions in a category later but uh that's my nominee stop making these i know there's there's like a Lion King sequel that I think has been announced, but there aren't a prequel? lot of them. Mufasa? Uh, prequel. You're right. You're right. Uh, there aren't a, a lot of other ones planned, I don't think. So maybe we've seen the end of this trend. I don't, I mean, I don't think we have, Greg. I think these movies keep making enough money that they're going to keep making them. Uh, but, you know, I thought, I, I totally agree with the, like, let's not remake any more of these movies. Let's just make other movies. Um uh, and and I, I do not think that The Little Mermaid changed my mind about that at all. But I will mm. say that I thought at least that it was a little bit better than most of them have been. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's way too long. So I, so I had a very different experience because I took my daughter and and her best friend. And like it was like a, you know, it was like a mother daughter sort of event. And like, you know, we all had had a good time and, and they sat through most of it. I mean, like probably with 40 minutes to go they started getting restless thankfully the theater was pretty empty and so they just started like playing with mm. the stuffed animals that they had brought with them and like set up like a little house for them in the next row and then and then they kind of were like oh what's happening is someone's there is ariel singing again and then they come they jump back in um but i've i've yeah so so on that front i feel like it's a problem because they it's the movie is longer because they feel like they have to add new material to it to make it different and and that's not a good a good reason to do that um and, and but i i would say that like the the music was great i actually really liked that it tried to make the sort of cultural setting of the caribbean sort of a little bit more authentic like i appreciate that those like the things i could i was like i see what you're doing i could see how you're trying to update the story in a way that would be good um and at the end of the day my daughter's walking out of the theater singing the like singing like she's ariel mm. she loves ariel and for her i think this is her version of ariel and not the one that we had so uh so so i can't argue with that <laughs> really like i'm not gonna be like stop making these movies right if it's <laughs> if if she's into them um but yeah i thought i thought it was like it was fine it was it was yeah we don't need to talk about it a lot but how, so how does it how does it compare to rob marshall's chicago the last time he made a movie musical, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember liking that when it came out. 
And yeah, isn't that what no, a bunch of Oscars? Yeah, yeah. Or that's what your point is. Yeah, your point no, is that it was that's what my point is. Is that this is a this is fallen. I think if you're you're trying to show how the industry has abused its talent, that's a pretty good argument, right? But Greg. that is not the fault of Rob Marshall or of Ariel. It's just the way the box office has performed on these other ones. Greg, this is nine erasure. You are forgetting about the, the oh. musical, the movie musical Nine, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, directed by Rob Marshall. Apologies I'm... to Mr. Day-Lewis. Wait, he was in a musical? This is totally news to This is total news yeah. to me. Uh, it's, it's a musical version of Fellini's Eight and a Half. Uh, and uh, it's Daniel Day-Lewis singing in the lead, directed by the director of Chicago and the live-action Little Mermaid. It went as bad as well as you would think it would, which right. was... It's the only Daniel Day-Lewis movie to come out, I think, in the 21st century and not have a lot of awards buzz. Now I feel like I want to Mm. see that just out of a sense of morbid curiosity. Like, yeah, Mm. there's a lot of very famous women who are the women that that the the, the director character has had relationships with in the past. I will just note that so far, I feel like the theme of the episode is we have Jen's daughter prefers the live action Little Mermaid and Greg's son likes Kingdom (laughs) of the Crystal Skull. So the real headline is the children are wrong. I think that's the, that's the takeaway. The kids are not all right. <laughs> yeah, from what we're learning. Um, okay, so to bring back the uh, the the uh, franchise killing, you know, I mean, a little unfair to point to The Flash, uh, not just because I already kicked it a bunch when it didn't exist, but it was known that that, that that section of the franchise was being cut off. There was that movie, again, the sort of vestigial Aquaman 2, but they're doing a full reset, so that's not fair. Uh, similarly... I think Dial of Destiny, Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford's 80 years old, unless it was a remarkable runaway success that they felt they had to recast or do a spinoff. Um, there's still a part of my heart that was like, what if they made Helena Shaw and short round movies uh, going going <laughs> down the road? But uh, but that's okay. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, we also had on our list Transformers Rise of the Beasts, uh, which similar to Fast X has the problem of there's another two or three movies already planned and I think a TV show. So it isn't a franchise killer, whatever the quality of it. So I'm going to go with uh, the only other reason I can bring up that I half watched this movie and that's book club. The next chapter, uh, which is a sequel to the movie book club. Uh, This is a movie that stars Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Mary Steenburgen. And I think Sally field. Uh, And you know, the people like the first book again, Right? Is the other you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing the setup for the joke I want to do um, of the other <laughs> movie that's going to take over the, the, their franchise. But yeah, I mean, people liked, I think the first book club movie, I remember hearing that there were folks that were just like, it's just a movie with these old comedians and they come out and they do a great job, but it's the kind of movie they don't make and et cetera, et cetera. And they made another one and I, it just kind of, Thudded, and I don't think anybody cared. Instead, everyone cared about 80 for Brady. So I think instead of carrying forward the book club, that franchise will be dead. And instead, we may, uh, we're more likely to get 81 for Randy, which is a great reference <laughs> if you care about football, uh, which neither of you do. Um, but instead of following Tom Brady, they have to all fall in love with Randy Moss who wore 81 for the New England Patriots. Right, right. Uh, you, so, you don't have to explain that to us. Okay. Well, I did. <laughs> but but that's, uh, that's where my knowledge ends pretty much. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, in the in the interest of trying to have the most successful prediction in this, I think the book club franchise is dead. The end. Mm. 
This is some some interesting backtracking because I feel like on a previous episode, you weren't even willing to admit that you had watched this movie, that you were just in a room where this movie was playing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I will will say, again, more than The Flash, which I have not, has not passed a screen that I was on. How much did I actually watch this movie? It's a great question. I might have even taken a nap in the middle of it. But uh, but I, I did watch it, and it was a summer movie, and there was no other place to talk about it. So sure, here we go. <laughs> uh, Matt Bellany, to kind of like put a put a tie a knot on this this category, Matt Bellany, I think was interviewing someone who's like a box office expert, and apparently there's a very predictable number. It's like six hundred million. Does that sound right? In about six hundred thousand. If a high. movie makes over a certain. It must be a thousand. If, if a movie makes over six hundred thousand dollars, sorry, <laughs> money. What? Um, uh, sixty million. I bet it's sixty million. Sixty million. Okay, okay. I'm like, I don't know which, 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 which like factor of ten this <laughs> makes most the most sense. I, but I, I, I would love the insight of if a movie makes six hundred million dollars, it is considered successful. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, if, if there's there's some threshold where like no matter how critically disappointing or like how bad the bad the reviews are if it makes over a certain number they're just gonna make keep mm. making another one it's like an automatic yeah. renew which i thought was really interesting oh that's sad <laughs> yeah yeah um greg do you want to bring us out of the the <laughs> negative attacking zone <laughs> yeah. and bring us yeah. to the to our next category Definitely, because we did just say it was such a great summer for movies. Here's 50 minutes of us being really rude and cruel to even the movies we loved. So so let's get hopeful. Uh, so uh, the inverse of a franchise killer is a franchise starter. And, you know, it's actually been kind of rare in recent summers where we get new, fresh potential franchises, right? We don't get a lot of original. Um, we are speaking to you on the eve of the creator arriving in theaters, and all the the articles this week are like, hey, this is original science fiction. Can you believe it? How great is this? I saw one today that's like, why aren't they marketing it? Which, we'll get there. Like, let's, let's do the secondary takes later, but let's just be excited we're getting one. So, um, there is a lot of, there were a lot of films that had the potential to move from like successful original story into um, franchise. And now for me personally, there's some, I I have some trepidation here because there are some on our list of nominees that will definitely be turned into franchises, but that I don't really want to be uh, as a part of this. So I'm choosing to go popular. This is technically not a summer movie, but I think a lot of people didn't see it till streaming and it just feels like a summer blockbuster. Uh, Currently available on Paramount Plus, Dungeons and Dragon, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, This is a really, really fun movie and it helps if you go in kind of expecting like, ah, it'll be fine. Um, Way better than it had any right to be. Um, I know casual Dungeons and Dragons players. I know diehards. This movie found a way to serve everybody. And it really delivered on spectacle and on jokes and just like still what we uh, will can only assume will be the best Bradley Cooper performance of the year. Sorry, yeah. rocket. Sorry, uh, Leonard Bernstein. Um, but that's also I, considered a spoiler. I think. <laughs> Oh, Isn't sorry. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, I mean, this, fine. I mean, we've passed statutes of limitations on that movie, I think. But I, I remember yeah. when I saw it on streaming, that people were like, "Oh, don't spoil the the best cameo ever," and, the, <laughs> and that it was great. 
Um, so it actually shocks me that this hasn't had a sequel announced already. I don't know if that's writers slash actor strikes uh, things going on. It I think was pretty successful in the box office. It's uh, it's still pretty high up on the year. Ah, it's only at twenty two uh, for the year which is domestically about 93 million. So maybe that magic number Jen said isn't there. It is effects heavy. It was, it looks expensive. Um, but I think I have not heard anybody who saw it who didn't like it. It is ripe for more adventures. Do this same cast, have them go on another quest, swap out other people. Uh, it's, it's a format that could really work. Um, so that's my nominee. I would love, uh, five more Dungeons and Dragons movies if they are this clever and this fun. I mean, th- you can follow this party and how the party moves. You can also set up like a, you know, a paladin party. You can set up a cleric party, you know, whatever the title would be uh, to play off of those terms instead of thieves and uh, then have them all meet together if you want. Like, yeah, there's a lot oh, yeah. of potential. And uh, I think that sort of lighthearted fun, like I think everyone got kind of trapped into thinking Game of Thrones, thinking... You know, obviously Lord of the Rings and then Game of Thrones as like violent uh, high fantasy movies. And it's like, oh, just what if it's fun? Like, what if it's just fun mm-hmm. and you have characters you like and characters that people care about uh, and, you know, just excellent assemblage of people involved. Uh, co, I know co-directed, I think also co-written by the main kid from Freaks and Geeks, which is a, a wonderful continuation of Dungeons and Dragons. The, in popular the geek, not the freak. In other words, correct. Yes, <laughs> the, the, the geek, the titular geek. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think this movie w- was wonderful, and I also think this entire uh, episode of Summer Superlatives was basically a, a backdoor episode about two movies, and this is one of them. Like we wanted to do an episode. Yeah, you, were, you kept bugging me. When are we going to review Dungeons and Dragons? And I was like, I didn't, I didn't get to see it when it came out. And then too long had passed. And I was like, I don't think anyone will care about an episode about this anymore. And then it hit streaming. And then for some reason we still didn't do it. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, I'm glad we could talk about this now. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I really enjoyed this movie. I especially want to co-sign Greg's observation about it navigating different audiences because I feel like I'm kind of in the middle a little bit where I have played D&D and I understand how D&D works, but I haven't, I'm not like, I haven't been playing every year for 10 years or something like that. Like I'm not considered, I don't consider myself like an expert in it or anything. And so for me, I thought the fact that there were so many jokes about like dumb things that happen when you play (laughs) or like just about (laughs) like jokes about the mechanics of playing D&D kind of built into the story, I thought was really clever. Um, And Chris Pine this was a big bump in Chris Pine stock. He he like jumped ahead yeah. to maybe being the best Chris. Uh, apparently has since dropped because he apparently directed a movie called Pool Man that he also starred in, which is not very good. <laughs> It'll be forgotten. It'll be forgotten soon. Dungeons yeah. and Dragons will live forever. One one paparazzi shop a shot of him coming out of a bookstore with a stack of books and like a tasteful scarf this autumn. He's back on top. Like forget it. Agreed. Also, uh, okay. I've seen the gray man. So it's not Evans. It's not Evans. Oh, <laughs> oh. I mean, what what a haunting phrase! I've seen the gray man. <laughs> yeah, we've never had the, the the great Chris debate on the show. I don't think, or even in per- I don't think I've talked to either of you about this in general. I mean, it's, yeah, it's Chris Pine, and it hasn't. It's not really that that close. Yeah, yeah. In, my, in my opinion, all due respect to Chris Evans, who's in second place, yeah. but. 
anyway. Sure. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, add my franchise starter uh, from the list. I'm very happy that Greg went with uh, Honor Among Thieves because if he hadn't, I would have. Uh, so I'm going to go with my second choice uh, on here, which is, I guess, like sort of a franchise restarter because this has existed as a franchise before. Um, but it is the other movie that this is a backdoor episode for, which is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, uh, which was a delightful animated movie uh, that I, I have no real concept of how successful it was in terms of box office, but I do feel like every conversation I had with everyone who saw it, whether, and again, a similar thing of, are you someone who has been watching, uh, you know, reading Ninja Turtle comics, watching the animated show, watching the old 90s live action movies, uh, and you've been sort of following along for a while, those people loved it. People who had never seen them or just were only vaguely aware uh, through pop culture also had a great time that younger people were were locking onto it and really enjoying it uh, that, you know, again, didn't have that history. So yeah, this was, this was a really, a really delightful movie that made some really strong choices it did sort of present itself via the trailers as what if we did Spider-Verse, but with the Ninja Turtles, like just the animation style. But I feel like they did enough to sort of make it feel like it was its own thing. Uh, everything was sort of drawn like it was on a notebook that a like a teenager would have uh, and was doing their own little versions. And especially they would have sort of stories within the stories that did, got even more into that kind of a style. Uh, and this goes all the way back to our, I think, movie preview. I don't know if it was a summer preview or if it was just like the future. What I think it was for the whole coming. year. And and, the, and we had the conversation of they actually they cast teenagers uh, in the voices. <laughs> um, and, and we yeah. both agreed that was that was how nice of them to do that. <laughs> and and Greg you know what? made fun of us. Uh, and Greg made fun <laughs> of us, and as he should have. But you know what? What a great choice. I haven't felt like these uh, teenage characters were teenagers uh, th- to this degree. Probably ever, because they always sound like 28-year-olds uh, in, in these movies. And that was uh, that was super fun. So, yeah, I like this movie. And I could really see these just being churned out. Uh, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. But just, like, you know, keep keep the keep the wheels turning every maybe three years, just based on, I'm assuming, on the animation uh, requirements. But, uh, you know, keep it, keep the story going. And... Uh, people would be happy they'd be happy to keep them as long as the quality remains pretty good and i think if we're thinking specifically about the strategy of starting a franchise that they kept this the plot of this movie very contained and very small in a way that Hmm. leaves a lot of room i think for them to keep going sorry greg you were going to say something no, well, I just wanted to defend making fun of you. The moment I made fun of was uh, PT saying, I think they actually cast Teenager. And Jen just paused and said, good for them. Like they were the first to discover teenagers in some way. So it was the specific language I was teasing. Okay. okay. Uh, but I I do agree that it was a really important choice. I gave you your flowers when I uh, for my letterbox review. I just saw this this past week. My son had seen it in the theaters with his uncle and mom, but I had missed that trip. So I saw it with him on streaming this week. He wanted to watch it again. Works for him. He loves it. He doesn't know any other turtles except for these and had a great time. And in my letterbox review, I was like, turns out the secret to cracking this was to make them actual teenagers. And that made them compelling in a way I had never felt compelled by the Ninja Turtles. And, you know, um, PT was recently noting that in, in the Star Wars franchise, you have that first childish thing that you like 
don't like and you realize your time at like the center of the Star Wars universe is over, if that's Ewoks, if that's Jar Jar Binks, whatever it is. Um, I always think of Ninja Turtles as that thing for me. Um, you know, I was just, I, it was, you know, I think there are a lot of people my age who really enjoy the Ninja Turtles. But for me, it was like that first thing where I missed the start of it. And I was like, well, that's a kid's thing. And I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm, I'm mature now. I'm watching foreign subtitled films at age seven, probably when it came out. Uh, so, um, so I'll, I do not have that emotional attachment, but I still thought this was a wild ride. I think it, we can't forever just say the next cool quirky animated thing is trying to be Spider-Verse. I think Spider-Verse inspired a lot of other cool artists and we should celebrate that. But, um, yeah, sign me up for more of these. Um, I'll be there with my son or be left out of the trip as the case may be. <laughs> I I love being six years older than you and not having been too young for Ninja Turtles when the, the, <laughs> the cartoons came out. Because uh, I was there for that first movie uh, at the age of I don't know, 13, 12 or 13. Uh, and yeah. I still stand by it, that first live action movie. I, had a, I have a great time with it. I don't, I don't know if it holds up. I know young Sam Rockwell is handing out cigarettes to children. Uh, that's what I remember right now from, from that movie. All I remember is the, the go ninja, go ninja, go. That was great. Well, I know, Jen, that was from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Okay, the sorry. Of the oh, I just I know. That is a lesser movie. Uh, even, even, <laughs> even us fans would agree that's a lesser movie. <laughs> I was not too old. For, or two, I don't know. I I watched Ninja Turtles. I like the the eighties cartoon. I watched it all the time. I, I, I have fond I memories think of I watching was, those movies. I think in rural New Hampshire we didn't get Fox for longer, so that's part of it too. Because when people talk oh. about like the the X Men cartoon or Batman mm. animated series, I don't have associations with any of these, and I think it's because the Boston stations came through clear when it was ABC, NBC, but we didn't get Fox very well. Oh, so interesting. Got to get it in channel 50 out of Derry, New Hampshire in between I'm, the Al Caprillion bumps. You got a high pressure system coming in. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that joke is going to slay with one of our listeners and they are going to be so happy. Uh, but it's going to be two it. listeners. It'll be two listeners. It'll be you and me listening later. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, uh, Jim, my what's your last franchise? Plug- okay, okay. Well, can I say my last plug for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the funniest April O'Neill. Agreed. Like, and I, I had a very just crushing it at every turn. What a year! Just having a great what a year. year. Summer yeah, of Iowa. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, if you if you really like her from other things, like I think that alone would be reason to watch this movie because she's hilarious in it. <laughs> um, okay, so my franchise probably well. Okay, we're trying to stay positive. This is the positive turn in the podcast, right? So I'm not going to talk about Barbie and how there's. I don't want there to be a franchise for Barbie, but they might. There might be. Greta Gerwig probably wouldn't let that happen, but like, that's we're just flagging that as as a potential danger, um, because it was so successful that like why wouldn't they try to make more of those movies, right? Um, but instead, I'm going to go to Super Mario Brothers, um, a movie that was okay as a movie. But was really fun <laughs> as as you know someone who has played Nintendo games, and so um, I feel like you know this was the people aren't really talking about it as much now, but I feel like all through the summer this was the one that kicked it off, and everyone had to kind of meet Super Mario's Brothers' expectations, right? Where it's like it they were like movies are back, uh, this movie did amazing, and then, then we had a bunch of flops. So 
I think for for that reason alone, they're definitely going to make more of these, I would think, just based Mm. on how successful it was financially. Um, But I'm not opposed to it either. Like I I was like the story of of this movie is pretty simple. It's not doing anything particularly interesting, but I don't necessarily know if it has to. Like I think it captured for me a lot of the kind of the game, like like the feeling of playing a Mario game, I feel like it did really well and translated that really well into the action in the movie. So yes, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to see how super Mario brothers as a franchise continues to grow and change. Um, and, and to see if they can kind of like deepen the story a little bit more, uh, because I think all, all the other things were working for me. I, I think that's all exactly correct. The moments where they had the animation that kind of looked like the gameplay and the score kicked in of the full orchestra doing the original they are deeply ingrained in our skulls themes, mm-hmm. it, this sucker hummed. Um, and I'd also give it credit for doing some of the updating that you gave Little Mermaid credit for. Princess Peach was awesome. And it was yeah. like, let's not just make her somebody crying in a castle and... Um, you know, if we're going to drag out these properties, Barbie included, we got to do something to make it OK to talk about them and to to celebrate the right parts of our society. So uh, agreed. I think there is another one coming. I think they've also said Zelda's coming. I, I suspect we will get the actual building out of the cinematic universe, more Donkey Kong in his own movie, more, um, you know, fill in all a whole Yoshi movie where nobody talks. Give it time. <laughs> I would love that. Yoshi's my favorite. Nintendo it's basically character. Wally, but it's Yoshi's. <gasps> <gasps> I'm here for it. I would watch that. I mean, I don't think they're going to make that, but I would watch it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with just because, oh, do I, do I pick something selfishly or do I pick something that Greg, I know really wants to talk about? That's the thing. Um, oh, whatever you want. Let's, let's go with, because we're a little punchy right now, let's go with favorite joke or bit. Um, nice. So I think a lot of the movies we liked over the summer were very funny, um, and so I want to I want to put put forth an opportunity for people to kind of call out their favorite um, their favorite jokes or favorite like you know running jokes in in movies. Um, except the problem is that we ha- came up with like a really expansive list, um, and so now I'm like, oh, what do I do? Like, what do I actually pick? Um, okay, I guess. <laughs> this is a great category coming out of the, okay, we're just going to be more focused. We're going to be lean. We're, just, we're, we're not going to wander so much. We're just going to get in, get out. It's going to be great. And then it's like, okay, let's go to the one that's got 13 answers. Uh, on the, on the sorry. This is the long no, it's great. reason. Um, so I'm going to give a shout out to, I mean, I really want to go with Ninja Turtles again, because I feel like to me, that was probably my the funniest movie I saw all summer. Um, mm. And there's so many. So maybe I'll just, I'll just shout out all of them on here. Um, I I already tried to sing the Ray Filet joke, I think on a previous episode. <laughs> so I'm not gonna do that again, but I do keep, I keep coming back to that. It's the dumbest thing that I think it cracks me up every time. Uh, and it's not even really that funny, but so that that's, that's my actual pick, but there's also on here. Um, they look like little Shreks to me. Or during like one of the big, <laughs> the first fight scenes. And just, I remember, because they say it so quickly, like, say they do so much in this movie, it just, like, I feel like I would have to go back and watch it just to catch all the jokes, but that one in particular, they just really say it kind of under their breath, and I'm just like, did they just Mm. make a Shrek joke about Ninja Turtles? That's amazing. (laughs) Um, And then the other one is the April line of, the longer you lurk in the shadows, the more sus you get. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
there's just so much that to me that's very representative of the humor of the whole film hmm Okay, we're just pointing, Greg, at, each just pointing at each other. We're not just uh, pointing. I, yeah, great. Uh, I am MPT Greg. <laughs> I'm going. Uh, I'm I'm going to go with because it is the loudest I laughed in in a theater. Uh, there were a lot of great jokes on this list, uh, and this, again, this is terrible. Already described in the theater camp episode, the moment they uh, lifted, they held up the screen to show that they were uh, live casting the play performance to a woman in a coma. Uh, and that's not very funny, like saying it, but it's something dark. about the setup of it, comedy. it was like, cause they, they really, it, it felt like they were setting it up of just like, and then this lady who's been gone since the first five minutes of the movie, it, you know, we're going to see her again. And then it just cuts to someone intubated in a hospital bed. Uh, very dark. <laughs> I laughed for, yeah, like what, 90 to 120 seconds straight um, for that. Follow, follow that with the, the song about uh, camp uh, being home. Or is it? Um, all of that is, <laughs> uh, is, is probably my favorite sequence uh, in a favorite joke sequence in a movie this summer. Uh, yeah, that last, the like improvised song becoming the grand finale was really a stroke of genius. And like, as it started, I'm like, oh, how did I not see this coming? And yet, why is it actually kind of awesome? And it was, it was really done. Well done. My nominee for theater camp um, is, uh, is AO, Summer of AO with the but but what is state like what is stage <laughs> combat which i recently tried to recreate in a faculty meeting to ill effect nobody had seen this movie nobody understood Aww. but i was like no but it's really funny cuz she's asking them and they're saying it's a feeling it's a flutter it's an edge of danger in your seats and she's like no no but like what is it like i need a legal <laughs> definition of yes. what stage combat is and uh, so AO is just incredible so funny and and that was a really good moment for me uh PT's comment made me think best like laugh I heard in the theater high up there is Helena punching Indy at the end like that plays every time it gets a huge reaction and a usually some old dude giving a big guffaw oh wait that's me <laughs> uh, well someone in the theater giving a big guffaw um so i like both of those as, as moments that really i will remember from this summer which seems nice. great that feels like a lot of people being like she's got moxie and that's why they really enjoy it <laughs> hmm. Excellent. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, we, we did do a good job of going through that quickly. Good job, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to pick for my uh, my next category: a perfectly cast actor or actress that is not mm. otherwise uh, getting praise, uh, which is re really just uh, uh, another way to talk about Chris Pine in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, is my answer uh, where I feel like there was a lot of hype for this, like in the moment. Uh, that people you know were talking about it and he got he got some heat but then you know again the movie is just sort of sitting on paramount plus i feel like if it had been gone to even hulu but certainly like a netflix uh, or max maybe it would be getting more mm. more chatter but uh he's such a good linchpin for this movie because he's uh very good at you know being roguishly charming but also so goofy and able to make and, and the whole cast is good at this, but again, he's the star, he's the lead, of able to make these sort of observational jokes without it feeling like I am undercutting what's happening around me. Like I I am I am undercutting the reality to sort of like 
let the audience know I'm kind of too cool for this. Like he is not too cool for it. He is in it. He's experiencing it. Uh, but he is still able to uh, to sell the thing. I'm thinking of when he's uh, you know, playing his uh, uh, lute or whatever it is, uh, and uh, but he's really the projection, and he's marching up to uh, <laughs> to the gates, uh, and his body starts to like morph and fall apart because the projection uh, is not able to sustain itself. Uh, is you know that that kind of just like confidence in his abilities. Uh, it's you know I don't think the movie works as well without having a, a star with that level of commitment and, and ability Mm. great pick uh my favorite moment from his performance is when um i believe it's the paladin says this is an incredibly powerful relic you have to trust it be ever so careful don't let it out of your sight and chris pine is like yep got it hey hold this and hands it to the wizard (laughs) um that is exactly how i play D &D. it's like yep got it whatever Okay, moving on. Um, and, you know, again, that's just a clever joke because the wizards got the bag of holding, but they never hold up a like lamp and say, hey, look, this is a bag of holding. Here's how this works. It's just how D&D works. So so great pick and great performance. Uh, uh, completely agree. Um, I am going to take for a perfectly cast uh, actor and actress. Um, I'm very tempted by Haley Atwell in Mission Impossible because she's phenomenal, but this isn't favorite performance. We were saying like perfectly cast and maybe getting overlooked. So if that's the criteria, I'm going to go Shea Wiggum, not from Mission Impossible, but from across the Spider-Verse because Shea Wiggum plays uh, Gwen's dad. And the emotion in those scenes um is really really good and his voice performance is really good and and a reminder that voice performances matter in these films it's it's not just trotting in some celebrities find somebody who's there the fact that shea wiggum has kind of you know when i think of him i think of cops kind of nameless cops from different movies very much the role he's playing in mission impossible and so to plug that into you know uh the figure of captain stacy and then he kind of becomes the stakes of the movie in some ways, uh, you know, or among the stakes because all the captains are are going to die. And um, and the emotion he ends up giving and when he resigns and, you know, it's it's a really nice performance done entirely by voice. And I would say overlooked because there's just so much crazy, fun, visual stuff going on in that film. You kind of forget some of those voice performances are really good. We have some other good ones on the list. And so now I'm being indecisive because I think when I when you originally put this in our Google Doc, I was like, oh, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. And then I was like, oh, wait, but you you specified not getting a pra- uh, not otherwise <laughs> getting praise. Um, so then I was like, oh, and Margot Robbie's out. Right. Like, the- so I really I just want to change the nature of this category um, to talk about about <laughs> other actors. Um, but I think I'm going to because I think we haven't talked about indie enough. I think, or just maybe to make up for my egregious disappointment discussion <laughs> earlier, um, I'm going to go Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, PT, I think, put this on the list, but I, I really like this this pick because she, you know, I was a huge fan of hers from Fleabag. And, but it was like, can she make the jump from something like that to like a big, big action franchise movie? Um, and I feel like she really was not running circles around Harrison Ford because that's disrespectful, but <laughs> but I feel like she really was going to like like she was a great match for him in terms of the energy. And she just like her performance to me 
indicated that she really understood what made Indiana Jones as a character tick, right? She had kind of the like, and, and, and especially, and I think, again, to plug in something else, Greg and I were on the Nostalgia Test, um, a colleague of ours, Dan, uh, hosts another podcast and asked us to come to talk, on to talk about Raiders. And I feel like on that episode, we really kind of talked about how he, Indiana Jones as a character really toes that line between sort of like, like rogue scoundrel but also nerd and and i feel like she really had that same energy where like when she was in awe of the archaeology i bought it but then when she was like i'm morally questionable i also bought it so i feel like um i feel like yeah she was she was amazing and i and i'm actually that that was probably one of the saddest things because we know all know that harrison ford is winding things down right like he keeps trying to be like this is the last time i'm playing fill in the blank famous character but i was really hopeful that if this movie did well that maybe we'd see more of her uh as as um wombat <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah yes i know i just i just oh i know say but... <laughs> Wom- <laughs> wombat on our podcast <laughs> um and and um because i think that was really cute that she had a nickname um but yeah, so I, I feel like that's been that was part of the disappointment for me was that, oh, like because this movie didn't do well, she's probably never going to get to play that character again, which is sad. I just want to give one honorable mention shout out because I don't know if there's another space to talk about the movie um, to Michelle Yeoh in A Haunting in Venice, uh, which is not a particularly remarkable movie. Uh, it's it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I think it was the be- it's been the best. Uh, you know, I had the better best reaction to it of the three Brana Poirot movies, uh, and um, <clears throat> I think you know particularly um, she does a does a really good job of she's the sort of the the, the spooky medium who comes in to to lead a seance, and uh, I think that the you know obviously she's an amazing actress. Uh, I think that she does a really good job of like playing it straight while looking like she has some uh, hidden motives, uh, hidden secrets um, behind her. The whole, cause the movie is set. It's like 1947, I think in Venice, it's post-World War II. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, I not in any way called out, but I think very sort of subtle, you know, re- grappling with that era's Orientalism of how they would mm. treat like you know a woman from the East uh, coming and doing this, and you know, I I think that it's just uh, it's a really solid performance, and I think because it's a movie that's sort of come and gone, and to the degree that it has an audience, the audience is not usually at the center of the discourse. Uh, it's easy to overlook uh, her performance, so I just want to give her a shout. Nice. That actually I mean, makes me want to see that movie. Yeah, ex- same. And this is nothing if not a Michelle Yeoh super fan podcast, I think. So uh, uh, absolutely more excited to see that now. I was also, you know, the thing about you miss these small movies and I'm like, yeah, it'll be on it'll be on Hulu next week. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, Bottoms is o- already out on demand. And, um, you know, it just it, these poor small movies don't get a, a long window. Uh Good. Some good talk about good actors. And and I just want to reiterate what Jen said. There's a whole bunch of really great performances that we could spotlight and, and we will keep talking about as the fall continues um, and the acting categories start to become more defined for the Oscars. Because this podcast always has one eye 
on the Oscars. <laughs> and cut. Okay. Uh, so my choice for which category we do next, I am going to go with one. When we started batting around uh, ideas, I threw out like five or six. And then after I named this one, I said, oh dear, things are getting very dark. Uh, and that is, I want to nominate the moment in a film that made you want to go home and rethink your life. Uh, and I mean this in the pure Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, sense of um, like, oh my, this really deeply unsettled me. Now, the nominees we have listed here did not include the one I was thinking of when I came up with this category. In many ways, even though this nomination list does involve um, the atomic bombs of Oppenheimer, mine is darker than even that, which is, uh, and I already kicked this movie a couple times. Why, why did I go see this movie by myself? I don't know. But I am going to nominate The Little Mermaid. And an infamous new song that was added called <laughs> The Scuttlebutt. And I am telling you, pause this podcast, go find the Spotify and listen to the song The Scuttlebutt. This is a Lin-Manuel original composition with orchestration by Alan Menken being performed by Aquafina. I left this moment in this film and I was like, Maybe we were wrong about Hamilton. <laughs> Maybe we didn't <laughs> get this right. Maybe we like it's it. It was. It, I am telling you, it is so abysmally bad. And you know, I think we've talked before. Aquafina is in a moment in her career where she's getting her money, and there's no disrespect to that. But I was like, like yeah, Lin Manuel plus Aquafina. This should be incredible, and it is. It is an entire, entire song that is built on the fact that the seagull is named Scuttle and Scuttlebutt's a way to say gossip. And it's also the butt of a seagull. Isn't this hilarious? Let's sing a song about it. Oh my God, that shaved three stars off my letterbox review just in that, that one moment. And I really went home and I was like, Come on, Lin Manuel. I believed in you. I think I called you like the best intellectual of our time at, at one point, and and now I'm I'm in a dark place. So that is my. I went home. I rethought my life. Maybe I shouldn't go to children's movies by myself at a matinee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know how to respond to this because I already had a similar complaint about the song on a different episode <laughs> that you were not here for. <laughs> um. But I didn't mind it. So okay. So instead, I will I will inject a a funny anecdote. So so after we did our our um, first preview episode, so part one, I made a playlist of all the original so that potential, very expansive potential original songs, and I so I put the uh, Scuttlebutt on there, in addition to a couple other Little Mermaid songs, and now my kids are obsessed with the song. <laughs> <laughs> walk around being like the scuttlebutt the scuttlebutt and i'm like what did i do because i put because i was just, i like just put, and they and they um even though my daughter hasn't seen barbie i don't think she's quite old enough for like the existential crisis barbie movie um but but she does really like all the songs and so like this and then and so i had this so this playlist is like half appealing to them and half like like i had the song from past lives which they they tune out when that comes on but like but they're like oh peaches great we're in oh i'm just ken we're in dua lipa we're in and then now they're like now they've learned about the scuttlebutt song and i i'm full of regret is it greg has it negated Encanto for you at least like uh, can you, you hold on to hamilton but you're like Encanto is, is dead to me 
because of this song. I, I mean, again, I cannot stress how obsessed I was with Hamilton. I saw it three times. I like a lot of the Encanto music and all of that. It honestly made me rethink all of Lin-Manuel. Like, I don't know that his name is enough to get me to a musical in the future. Like, I want to wow. see some reviews first. So I'm sorry. Wow. It, it is just, it's dark. But I went home and Ooh. rethought my life. and. I I made a little fire in the yard and burned my Revolutionary War soldier jacket that I had been wearing. (laughs) You're like, I'm actually, I'm I'm a Tory now. uh, I'm a monarchist. (laughs) I want to return to the crown. Maybe this America thing didn't work out. If this is where we got to, let's 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 restart. (laughs) Oh, I don't know how to follow that up. Yeah, Jen. Well, I don't know what your thinking is, uh, and maybe you do have this. I. I don't want to say, well, it's because I'm more selective than Greg is, but I don't, the, the uh, parameters of things that I'm going to see don't usually include uh, movies where I'm like, I don't really know. And then there's some sort of moment where it's like, what have I, what have I done uh, in, in terms of going and seeing it in a, in a theater or even any of the new movies that I saw over the summer. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go uh, instead, I think more like, you know, moments that cause an existential crisis, not because I don't know why I made the decision to <laughs> watch this movie, but because I think that was the intention of the uh, the authors. But I did, I did go home and uh, and and think my life. Um, so I, uh, I I will say uh, two, basically two things that have already been talked about in earlier episodes of the podcast. This isn't a clip show, but it is uh, a long commercial for uh, earlier episodes of the long take <laughs> review. Um, so one of them is uh, Greg's the one who brought it up in our Barbenheimer episode. Uh, so because I was there for it, I'm, I'm putting this as an honorable mention. Uh, it was watching Barbie laughing at all the patriarchy uh, jokes and all the, yes, all the, all these men mm. and all the bad traits of men and haha, those are other people. And then they came for the film nerds and I was like, Oh no, it's, it's me. <laughs> it was the, the film, it was the Godfather joke and the pavement joke back to back yeah. for the film nerd and the music nerds. And it was, that was just like two, you know, two shots to the chest, uh, to, <laughs> uh, to be like, okay, like I need to, I need to step back and, uh, you know, assess myself and that I'm not, I'm not better than, uh, than all these other people being being uh, targeted, so uh, so there's that uh, on on the one hand, uh, and uh, and then the the ending uh, the ending like five minutes or the ending sort of pan and return in uh, past lives, uh, which uh, was a, an amazing moment because you uh, at least for me there's a, there's a moment when there's no dialogue and it's there's it's just two people standing and there's a pause and you are very conflicted about what it is you want to happen versus what you mm. think sh- like is the right thing to happen. And, and like whether you're disappointed with what does happen, like all of that kind of wrapping up is I think part of why, you know, that movie is, is so good that uh, it's, it's, and it, and it is sort of the whole movie is kind of uh, in, in a very kind of quiet, small uh, narrative sense is, is barreling forward towards this in a, in a way you don't know to these final few minutes. And you're just like, Oh my God. And it's yeah, like very emotional and, but also very introspective in a way that fits this category enough that I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. Uh, that, uh, that, yeah, that's that, that you know, I, it, it made me think about what it is I wanted for characters in a, in a movie. Nice. I totally misinterpreted this ca- this category. 
because Greg had just put <laughs> put it in there, and I was like, oh, okay, and I, I tried to come up with some examples so we have somewhere to start, and then I put all of the sort of, like, really moving moments in movies that we've seen over the summer, um, <laughs> as opposed, but so, yeah, I, similarly, I don't think I have the moment of regret of, like, maybe maybe the closest thing probably would be when I tried to watch Fast X on, at home the other night, and I was <laughs> just like, why... Why, why did I do that? Um, I did it because I love this podcast and I wanted to make sure I saw all the top grossing movies over the summer. And then I was like, I could have been doing many other things that were better. Um, so that's probably my equivalent to what Greg intended. Um, but we haven't really talked about Oppenheimer enough um, on the show. Maybe we should just move on to another category. Cause I feel like if I start talking about Oppenheimer, cause I just, I just saw it again last night because it was, it's on its way out of the IMAX theaters um and barbie's about to take over so i don't know just the ending the ending is still brilliant but i also don't want to spoil it so i guess i'll just leave that there be like oppenheimer is great and really made me go home and rethink rethink what we're all doing with our lives (laughs) yeah i I think that's a great choice because that is the goal of that movie right if whatever those quotes were that came out ahead of time that's like you will feel like a nuclear bomb went off in your mind um but it really is just like (laughs) let's question everything and let's deeply unsettle ourselves and all the assumptions we make and you know i i think a lot of the commentary since then has nicely pointed to the performances and the kind of structure of the thing but that emotional response hasn't probably gotten enough. So I think it's a good thing that you're emphasizing that again. Um, so yeah. I'm glad you're and mentioning I, that. And you're right. We'll be talking a lot about Oppenheimer towards the Oscars, I think. So. We will. Yeah. Like, so this is, well, this is far from the last time. Um, but yeah, I think on my most recent rewatch, it was like the echoing that the screenplay does in such an effective mm-hmm. way was really what hit me that didn't, I didn't think I didn't notice and appreciate enough on the first time. So like the fact that the ending scene, which again, I'm not going to spoil is sort of this like return to a scene we had seen earlier and like but then i noticed so many other little things that like every time characters re-meet in the in the film there's some key line that anchors you into their past interactions or something like that that remind like a touchstone that reminds you of what they were like before and with the movie that kind of jumps around in time so much i feel like that was really clever to uh, to attempt so greg go ahead greg Oh, I was just going to say, for my definition, then the sex scenes in Oppenheimer can make you go home and oh, rethink your life. Like, yes. what? Yes. Yep. Pause to Those... talk about the Bhagavad Gita in the middle. <laughs> like, they... Uh, yeah, those uh, those scenes got uh, worse when I watched it again. I was like, oh, because I, I knew what was coming and I was just cringing in my seat being like, these are not good. Yeah. These are not good scenes. I did have those under best joke because I do think it is a joke to sort of be like, look, we're, I'm Christopher Nolan and I don't understand human sexuality. However, I know everyone's waiting for the I am become death quote. So I'm going to put it in the middle of this super awkward sex scene and we'll go from there. In the interest of not leaving Greg stranded on an island of having a bad experience in a theater uh, and, and, the, and then the rest of us talking about like transcendent moments of uh, introspection <laughs> coming out of film. Uh, I, I will say this is not a new movie, but like one one reason why uh, instead of going to see all the high grossing new movies that my, my wonderful colleagues are, are aiming to do, uh, I'm constantly aiming to go and see uh, old movies, especially the movies that are on the sight and sound top 100 in a theater when possible uh, and around LA that there, there is a possibility there. So I had never seen Goodfellas in a theater before. That's why I went to a screening of Goodfellas and uh, there was a gentleman who showed up 20 minutes late and uh, really enjoyed the violence. 
like openly like <laughs> like like chuckling to guffawing to making loud comments of that's what a man does um during oh. moments of violence and uh, uh, someone from the theater came over and and talked to him uh and and he stopped talking but he, he didn't stop uh clearly enjoying the movie on the level that people who critique martin scorsese and his movies uh like he's the person they're thinking of of just sort of like yes mm. that's the person who doesn't get what's happening they don't know that there's something <laughs> beyond the visceral reaction to it and so there was a little bit of why like why did why did i spend 12 dollars to watch a movie i've seen 50 times with someone who has such a terrible opinion of what this movie is and just totally misunderstands it, uh, that was a mistake. So I did have a little bit of like, maybe I just should stop doing this. Um, but I do love the theater. And the 20 minutes before he showed up, the crowd was really locked in. So uh, it, was, it was a great, it was a great time for Aww. at least those 20 minutes. Uh, so, yeah. so that will be, that'll be my answer again. So Greg doesn't have the only despondent moment in a, in a theater. <laughs> Jen, I think you get to choose. Oh, is it me? Okay. Yeah. Um, this is your last mm, one, so make this it is my make last it one. Oh, great! No That's pressure. good. <laughs> no pressure. Um. Do I want to talk about how elemental is mid, or do I want to celebrate action? Let's, let's go with. Uh, this is one that Greg came up with, but I'm going to take it. Um, best stunt or action set piece, because I think. If we're thinking about what we loved about going to the movies this summer, aside from Barbenheimer, which we're going to continue talking about into the Oscar season, you know, I think it is these big action movies that, you know, they they all did, they've all fared differently at the box office, but there was a lot. And there's a movie that's on our list here that we haven't talked about at all, which is actually kind of shocking because I think mm. it was one of the most successful summer movies. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go with, I guess that's my pick then. Uh, I'm going to go with the the hallway fight and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I mean, so much of the accident action in that is good, but that fight in particular, the use of slow motion and sort of just like, I don't know, it really captures the, the, the sort of proprietary vibe that the Guardians have that really sets them apart from all the rest of the MCU. Um, and just kind of like the irreverence and the, like the James Gunn factor. I think it was a very James Gunn <laughs> fight scene um, and just really, really, really well done. So, yeah, I think, yeah, shout out to shout out to Rocket. I could. <laughs> and general. I think with with the tradition of hallway fights in like Marvel shows, uh, you know, from you know, Daredevil mm-hmm. and, and I think there have been a few others. I think that this spin on it and, you know, having these characters and having the action be so kind of character centered was really smart uh i'm gonna take uh sorry greg i started talking before you so i'm gonna take the uh <laughs> mission impossible uh dead reckoning uh rome car chase uh which I'm, oh. I, I don't want to maybe that isn't what you were going for maybe you're gonna go somewhere else um but that's uh that's my favorite one from uh from the summer i have a shout out on the list for a movie that didn't come out in the summer but um I, we can't we can't do that that wasn't the summer so uh so i will uh yeah i'll just say this was great like the you know again i i have not watched fast x but I, you, you it is important even just in this movie that you can tell these two actors are in a car in rome around all these famous places and the the sort of ballet between the two of them with the with the with them handcuffed together and how they're moving around um and then 
uh, Pom Clementif just like driving uh, a Hummer through uh, anything she can find, cackling with glee. <laughs> Uh, is just it's just a great time and and they're switching cars uh and there's sort of there's all these starts and stops uh it's just a it, i i think it's the highlight of that movie uh certainly action wise uh, maybe not tension wise but in terms of just like the pure action stunt work um that's i think i think the the part i walked away with happiest and the the, the smart car or fiat whatever the tiny car is that joke could easily have been on our best joke list yeah. agreed <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was gonna say the exact same thing. That gets a huge reaction. I I think I saw this movie three times in the theater, and every time it was like ah, ha, 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 like definitely a, a good a good laugh moment. Um, I will just say that my my look of surprise is because you know that's one of the smaller sequences in that film, all things considered. You know, clearly pre pre release they wanted you to be talking about the the motorcycle the jump, motorcycle. Um, which yeah actually kind of for me falls in the most disappointing because I really thought, Oh, they're showing us the opening stunt. And then when the movie kind of built to that movie, that moment, it was like, what? Um, yeah. You can pick pick another one from dead reckoning. If you want, (laughs) I, I I am considering it. I mean, I, I would say the best stunt in that, the best sequence for me in that movie is the train, uh, falling off the bridge at the end. I think that's really cool and underrated, but, um, you know, uh, and I want to just, uh, while I'm hogging the floor, say, uh, shout out to the Beastie Boys who apparently need to license all their songs all the time, but we got no sleep till Brooklyn, um, in the hallway fight and that made that sequence, um, and was really masterful. So, so I like both your picks a lot. Um, while the train in Mission Impossible is is a candidate, I'm going to go with my heart and say I actually love the tuk-tuk chase in Dial of Destiny um, as much as really any chase sequence in an Indiana Jones movie. And, and I, you know, um, obviously the truck chase in Raiders is all time. Put it on Mount Rushmore, chisel whatever you can chisel into it. I saw that on the big screen this week and it was awesome and the crowd got into it. Um, so no complaints about that, but the tuk-tuk chase is really nicely done. And there are a few shots with the camera work where, um, a quick hit from like an oncoming car still makes me jump on like my 10th, 11th, 12th viewing of this film. Um, and it's another kind of showcase for Helena. Um, I think it's an opportunity to prove she's not just the, uh, the kind of uh, she's not the Willie Scott and she's not quite Marion. You know, I, I always think she's the belloc of this movie. I think that is kind of the genius of it is let's make Indies like legacy be to have inspired the next belloc, um, which I love. And she's great in this. Uh, the fiance who is just chasing her, screaming her name and saying, don't do this while in his silk jammies. Um, all of this just works really well for me. You know, the one piece that prevents it from being like flawless. I don't love when they go down the really, really steep hill and it's very clearly like rear projection. It's just it doesn't quite work. But when you can tell they got actual tuk-tuks out there with real cars, um, I think it's a, a great sequence. And my favorite of that film. I do remember the first time, I mean, each time seeing it, <clears throat> this is a movie I saw three times, only three times when, when talking with Craig, uh, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, li- lightweight, but, uh, yeah, e- each time, I mean, I, the opening sequence is super fun with, the uh, you know, set in the forties with the de-aging. Uh, and I think, I think that that 
plays. Uh, but this this chase was the first time that I was like, I had the sort of like chills of kind of just sort of like, oh, this is a, this is a great Indiana Jones action scene. Uh, like we're, we're we're doing it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling all the pieces. This is going great. The 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 sort of you know the the rise and fall of the of the action of who's winning, who's losing. That push pull. It was the closest the movie came. I feel like to getting that sort of Spielberg mastery of movement. Which, uh, you know, no, no disrespect to James Mangold. Uh, it, uh, as we said in our review episode, uh, uh, 80s Spielberg is a high bar for anyone, including mm. uh, 2000 Spielberg, to, uh, to try to reach. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I get that it wasn't always there, but that was where it felt like, yeah, this could have been. Spielberg could have snuck onto the set and directed this sequence. All right. I don't know if Jen had more. I wanted to add anything about it, but let's <laughs> move on to one more category. I'm going to take uh, and and you know hopefully uh, hopefully this wasn't the one that Greg wanted to take, but I'm interested in uh, what's the future cult classic. What's the what's the movie that ten years from now is going to have. Uh, have an audience, a bigger audience than uh, than it maybe looks like it will, uh, and it will be like, how did this movie not like get more attention uh, back in the day? And I think there's a lot of really good candidates um, that we have uh, written on here uh, as uh, as possible ones. Uh, so I don't even want to honorable mention them. I'm gonna throw out uh, again because I went to go see some old movie instead of going to see this one. I didn't actually see this, but Dumb Money, which is a uh, the recent. Uh, movie we can even discuss whether it counts as a summer release because I think it came out in uh, in September. It came out this um, week. <laughs> but I but I I feel like but you know but but still I, I I'm gonna put it out there because I kind of feel like it's it's out and no one's really caring about it. Um, but I think that this is uh it, it's a movie that people are discussing as is being like a, a better version like this one and BlackBerry I think are the two that folks are saying of like oh this sort of talking about products or or you know, uh, uh, capital being moved around in some way. Uh, these are those. These are the two sort of most most positive ones. Uh, and air, I guess, a little bit to, to go back to that one. But uh, but that this you know that this has the quality of it, and I also think it has the recipe for a cult classic because there's a lot of people who will be like, this is the version of the story I want to see. Like I like this mm -hmm. is the like the little guys on the internet took down the big guys in the big buildings and I want to see that story. And I think that like the reputation of this is only going to grow and build. And the people who will care about that don't necessarily go and see relatively small indie movies in a theater, but I think it's going to get on streaming and I think people are going to start loving it. And there's going to be posts on Reddit in five years to be like, how come <laughs> everyone slept on dumb muddy? Like this, uh, this stuff is a great story. Uh, it's an important story. And, you know, I think that that's, that's the, uh, the the most likely candidate to go from from where it is now to uh, big uh, big chatter in the in the in the cult status. So the problem I had when I was trying to come up with examples for our list in the Google Doc was I'm like maybe I don't understand what a cult classic is. Uh, so does a cult classic have to be not popular initially and then become popular later, or you know what I mean like? Like if by definition does it have to be ignored now? I mean, I I th I think so. I, okay. I I don't. If it's like like is Star Wars a cult classic? Like it was one of the biggest movies ever made when it came out. Like yeah. it just feels like it was very popular. And 
like it has that kind of like oh it has its fans that are nerdy and all that but like i don't know if it would be called like a cult movie even though there is a cult around it uh which we're all in uh, you know no, no not attacking <laughs> any, any listeners out there but uh yeah i think that i think of the term and again maybe maybe i'm wrong and i could be uh, uh way off base is sort of this movie was missed this movie was forgotten this movie was underappreciated and as time goes on people gravitate around it as like this is sort of a hidden thing that mm. wasn't seen, mm. wasn't found yeah and you know some of the bigger i think that's right or it at very least even if it's moderately successful in theaters it just has a longer life on in in home release and so on so like right now i think about um there's a huge reconsideration of jennifer's body going on which is a movie that kind of flopped when it came out it was diablo cody's follow-up to juno and everybody's like oh nope she wasn't a thing we were wrong and it's got this kind of huge life right now is a kind of you know internet favorite people talk about it a lot and kind of say we we missed this one um, so a movie like that, or even something like Shawshank Redemption, which I think was like fine on its theatrical release, but then became like everybody's cable go to rewatchable. And so had this like really long um, life within it. So I think those definitions are there. So on the nominees, you know, if we're thinking about what will be played as the midnight movie at movie theaters forever, it's got to be Barbie. It's just hard to call that a cult classic when it's like, oh, it took over the entire world and will continue. But you know, when the kids who are like 15, 16 right now are in their 30s, they'll still be watching Barbie, which feels to me like a, a kind of a cult classic. So I, I don't think you were way off base for that. Mm-hmm. Um, my nominee uh, is not on this list. So I'm really glad PT picked this category. So I get to talk about is Bottoms, um, which I saw uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, we have to complete the AO uh, trilogy by mentioning her third great performance. That's not a television performance uh, that uh, really helped her win the summer. And um, this is a really fantastic uh exactly the kind of movie I think will be a cult comedy. So um, the trailers have sold this as a kind of queering of the teen sex comedy. And that's not wrong, but the, I think for a variety of reasons, they are underplaying how absurdist this is. So they're kind of making it out to be, you know, so, so if people haven't heard, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to spoil this one because I do think it's kind of a missed one on, on this summer. Um, It's about two lesbians who, uh, as they say, uh, they are the untalented gays at the high school. So nobody likes them. Everybody likes the talented gays. And so uh, they, uh, because they're so unpopular, they decide to start a fight club to purportedly teach women self-defense, but in reality to get to wrestle and get out your hormones with the cute girls in your grade and the cheerleaders and so on. Um, and it's it's being sold kind of as, as that kind of thing. And it's uh, from the writer director of Shiva Baby and the star of Shiva Baby, which was a moderate kind of pandemic hit, I want to say is when it hit streaming and, and did pretty well, it was pretty fun. Um, But uh, I think this was so brilliant and so packed with jokes. A lot of it is um, improvised and just the background. So in a normal high school, sure, like all the all the kids uh, worship the the quarterback in a normal high school movie. But this is like they literally worship him and the principal will just say outright like he gets whatever he wants. And sorry, your comments made him uncomfortable. So you fail history class and things like that. Um, and the kind of big stirring joke in the middle is um, 
the the uh, the two main characters have had graffiti on their locker, making fun of them, and at the and the janitor always wipes it off. And the stirring climax is the janitor refuses to wipe off the graffiti, and you get the stirring like no, no, to the janitor who uh, doesn't give a shit. So uh, sorry, doesn't give a stuff because we don't want the explicit <laughs> tag. Uh, so um, so it's just totally absurd. It's totally over the top. I think um, people have rightfully pointed out that the end kind of goes so far that it really just kind of strains credulity but um i haven't i i between this and theater camp where the the big laughers for me the big comedies this summer i don't think any of us saw hard feelings which is probably the other comedy that did pretty well this summer but um i think this is one where once the kind of gen z discover it on streaming uh, i think they'll really uh eat it up and it'll be one that gets rewatched forever um from our generation i would liken it to drop dead gorgeous do you ever watch that one Mm-hmm. It's it's that mm-hmm. kind of black humor uh, and nice. has a similar cast where I'm sure a lot of these people will be very famous. And you're like, mm. wait, Amy Adams and Kirsten Dunst were in a movie one time. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Nice. Um, so I think we've talked about Turtles enough, but that probably would be my true pick as I feel it because I feel like the if we're thinking generationally i think this is you know as we said before this is going to be like the entry point for a lot of younger viewers and then if this becomes like a successful franchise i can definitely see it become like like everyone slept on this one potentially but then later this it becomes huge um and shout out to my neighbor chase who's in high school uh they are a huge turtles fan like obsessed with turtles and and they were like this is the funniest movie I've ever seen. I love this. Like, I, I can't wait to watch it when it goes on streaming. Like, um, the, and they had nothing but good things. And like, you could tell that the sort of like the younger humor, which sounds terrible. It makes me sound really old, but like, you know, like, like just, and the fact that they're actual teenagers, right? Like all the choices yeah. that they made, I think are, are really smart in terms of catching younger viewers and and making them feel seen and making them feel like this movie was was made for them or like is authentic in a way that maybe isn't is, is we found amusing but isn't really like doing that same sort of deep work of like you know this movie it, like I identify myself in this movie um so uh although it, it the 90s the 90s throwback in the soundtrack i feel like does that so so maybe it's doing maybe it's hitting at all levels um just in different ways um uh, so so that i think that would be my smarter pick but i do want to kind of mention a film that we haven't mentioned at all uh which is they clone tyrone uh on netflix mm. and i feel like because it's next netflix movie and it's kind of a weird thing because it's like a weird black exploitation sci-fi movie like it's it's like it's not it's not easily categorizable i think in terms of genre uh but i feel like because it's on netflix and and like it came out on netflix and like some people were like hey this is pretty good like but but it didn't kind of the cut didn't make it into the larger discourse i think but i feel Mm. like because it's on netflix it could get rediscovered later and become a big thing I believe that was also another Barbenheimer counter-programming attempt. It came out that weekend. It was put mm. on Netflix that Friday. And yeah, I mean, there's people who definitely have talked about how great it is. I regrettably have not watched it because 
as you sort of intimated, it came out on Netflix and then immediately disappeared because that's how Netflix works uh, sometimes. But every once in a while, there's some Adam Sandler movie from like five years ago that is like the number one movie on Netflix for two months. And uh, I feel like, yeah, maybe sometime when we get into those doldrums uh, post-strike, now that people are back, but they haven't quite got all their content machines back up and running, uh, maybe they clone Tyrone will come back up to the surface and folks will rediscover it. PT, we just got totally sandbagged because Jen's like, I don't understand what a cult movie is, and then names the perfect answer for that question. Right. Um, that that right. is absolutely a, yeah, that a was cult a shark. Movie, that was a shark it's a, move. A great choice I learned, for. I it, learned from our conversation. I didn't have that written down anywhere. <laughs> I just came up with that as you know, learn, 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 like that we Does created this, a dialectic. A and I, is this hand is this yeah. hand good? And she has a uh, a full house. <laughs> Um, yeah, just echoing that, um, a great Boyega performance, a great, um, uh, I I actually don't know the actress's name. I, she's not, she, she was one of the sisters in King Richard, right? No, no, it's, uh, it's sorry. She's in the Marvels. Tayona Paris? Yeah, yeah. Tayona Paris. Tayona Paris is right. Very, very good from her in a very different type of role. Um, just a really fun, um, movie. And and I think you're right. Jamie Foxx is a pimp. Yep. Yep. And, and that's, that's a good example because you're watching it and you're like, how is this, like, this should be incredibly offensive, but they, it plays it just right so that it's winking at itself in a way and it, and it totally works. So absolutely uh, a great pick and kind of a movie I'd already forgotten I'd seen, but it's really good. So glad that that made it into the episode. Uh, well, actually, the category I was going to go for was hidden gem, but I feel like we just gave our hidden gems. There's one more listed here that I think PT saw, but you know, hidden gem and future cult classic maybe kind of overlap. I definitely would have answered bottoms uh, as as that one. So, uh, hey, I've been really uh, terrible at times tonight. So let's end on a sappy, sentimental note. And let's go with a uh, biggest tearjerker because we are enough and we are modern, enlightened men and women. <laughs> and so we can be in touch with our emotions and express that. Um, and that, of course, lets me uh, dial of Gregstony, as my Zencaster name is tonight, close one more time by talking about my favorite movie of the summer, which is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And it would be uh, the very end of the film when Marion shows up. And, you know, I think there was a lot of suspicion ahead of time that Marion would be in this. Uh, uh, Karen Allen has come out and said originally it was conceived that she would have a very big role in this. But I will say this was absolutely perfect in every way. Uh, The way you're through the adventure, even though Indy has learned his lesson, uh, he feels like he's still really like given up and doesn't belong there. And you get that Helena, Helena, not only, sorry, Wombat, not only brought him back from the past, but uh, did in fact uh, put his life back together. And the second Marion walks in, my eyes started to well and then they do the Raiders dialogue. And there were there are cynical critics out there who are saying this is just fan service. But to me, this was brilliant because all three of us are in couples. This is what couples do, right? You have your in-jokes. You have your thing, whatever that stupid pet name thing is. And theirs is the moment of, well, where doesn't it hurt? And as the conversation hits that and you hear Indy say those words, that's where I just I lose it still every time I watch it. And you, you know, you see 
this way in which they are the exact same people, but you know, life has happened since they did this on the boat with Captain Katanga's cabin. And it's just so incredible to realize we got to go on this journey with this characters, these characters, and they're back together. Um, I think PT might have said this in our review. Go back and listen to the clip. But like Karen Allen um leans into a, a hug with Indy. I believe it's when he's kissing her her neck, and she smells him. And it is so great. It is like such better acting than anything she did in Crystal Skull. It's like cut her entirely out of Crystal Skull and just give her this one moment where you see a woman who's like, dang, he's still got it. And I, you know, it works every time. Right. Um, and so it's, it's just this beautiful moment. It has me sobbing. And then, uh, to quote Mallory Rubin, it is now canon that Indiana Jones makes love only when wearing his fedora, uh, which is the, the last shot of the movie. So, uh, it's a really great scene. It's my favorite of the summer and really just close that movie. I, I don't think we're ever going to see Indy again. And, and I'm satisfied with that. That, that did it for me. Nice. Uh, mine, I'm torn because I'm like, I have an intellectually better answer, which is America Ferrera's speech in Barbie, because which I did genuinely cry at and was like, this so accurately captures a lot of my experience and how I feel as a woman in America, <laughs> you know, just in the world, I guess I should say. But to be me, I got to go with rocket raccoon in guardians of the galaxy volume three i was so upset <laughs> um i mean there were there were multiple times that i teared up probably during this movie uh and there's a lot in the movie that is like really tough to like baby the, all the baby rocket stuff is tough to watch um but i feel like the fact that james gunn could take a human an anthropomorphic raccoon and make me feel that much uh, in those in those final scenes, which I don't want to, in case someone hasn't seen it for some reason, I don't want to spoil it. But like, and I don't need to spoil it. But like the fact that I'm like, there's this, there's a walking raccoon, and I'm crying, <laughs> like is really impressive, right? Um, and the, like that does say something about me and like you know my love for cute things and animals. But but I feel like to that's been the brilliance of Rocket Raccoon as a character is that he's like pretty and, and mostly like the same thing with Groot, like giant magical tree that sounds absurd and yet like we we treat them as real characters that that have these arcs and and have have this emotional impact and stuff like that and so i feel like i'm a little sad now that james gunn is at dc because of this movie uh, so maybe i'm mm. crying because of that too <laughs> but what if he has a like a superman movie that's got that kind of emotion <laughs> uh locked into it somehow and like you're crying about i don't know brainiac we're not really getting it relitigating our flash, <laughs> our flash uh, that's that's true um so i i deferred to you uh i, I was pointing desperately at you to, to go uh, after greg because like there were two things left on the on the list and uh, i was like i don't know which one it generally wants so like they're both what i would say so i will uh, i will say that i mean my real answer would be the end of past lives but i've already talked about that uh, here that that's probably the most sort of like emotional uh, I, I got during uh, during the theater uh, experience. But I will say uh, America Ferrera's speech and, because it had that balance of being super funny and like the jokes. It was like I feel like it was like a two to one ratio of them being funny and then the, them just being like 
cutting to the quick like truths about like this this, this terrible dynamic in society and uh, you know i think that it was just the pacing was perfect the delivery was perfect and so it's like you're laughing but then you're also getting you're welling up and getting emotional or i am welling up and getting emotional at least um because uh, oh crap! I pulled it up. As I'm a liberated man, I know it's not weak to cry. Um, that, that's the kind of quote from, from the movie. Uh, so yeah, I, I'll, I will go with that uh, just to, to second it. But uh, could also easily have gone with either of your choices, uh, both of which made me cry during the summer. Mm. Well, and uh, I just want to throw anger into the mix as I'm reacting to America's Ferrer speech, right? Because like that's part of it too. It's like you're like yes, and the fact that she has another example of this cognitive dissonance, and um, again, when my favorite game became "Why did you, middle-aged white dude, get dragged to Barbie?" I always take comfort in, but you had to think about this, and you had to think about your role in causing this, and as dunderheaded as I think a lot of us men can be. I think it is a real, like, we got a hard truth delivered to us. And I will say I have one friend, he will remain nameless because he won't go two hours into this podcast, no chance, but like came out and he's like, yeah, I'm I'm definitely an Alan. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) like you missed everything. You who uh, actually sings Matchbox 20 songs on your Instagram on the regular, my friend are not Alan, (laughs) you are again so uh it was very very funny to me uh but i do think uh both of those moments i just want to in in tacking on to jen's to say when um uh the otter whose name i'm forgetting lila uh, sky lila lila uh <laughs> lila says to rocket it's it, it was always your story um i feel like that's the emotional beat that like on top of everything it then opened me up to be like oh my God, these three movies were Rocket's story and we were just distracted by everything else. And and James Gunn created this masterpiece that seems like it's about one thing, but it's another. Um, Dan Harmon, um, who created Community, always says he did it because he's the Jeff Winger. And somewhere in like the third or fourth season, he realized he's the Abed. Uh, and I, I just feel like that's exactly what happened to James Gunn is he went into this feeling like he's the Star-Lord. And then somewhere along the line realized, oh, I'm I'm the broken creature here who needs Aww. somebody to tell him he belongs and that there's a, a, a purpose for him. And so, yeah, so that is definitely a tearjerker on that level, in addition to all the animal level that was spoken. And about. that person was Warner Brothers saying you belong <laughs> here with DC making these movies. Uh, I'm so scared. So scared. No, no, not uh, you, Henry Cavill. We're talking to James Gunn right now. <laughs> <laughs> not so fast, Henry. <laughs> not so fast, Jason Momoa. <laughs> let's not forget jason momoa in dune just just remember that okay mm, i know i complained mm. about his accent work in fast x but he's great in dune <laughs> yes uh, and someday we'll be able to see the second movie uh, no we were trying okay well that, that's jen's biggest tearjerker of the summer there it is <laughs> right, right. Was, was was leaving the talented mr ripley and finding out that Dune. Too. oh that was so crazy because we were uh, yeah because we were we were out of we were off the grid for a few hours and then came out and was like wait a minute what oh yeah and i mean shout out in you know as an honorable mention for uh best jokes every line by philip seymour hoffman in the talented mr ripley a movie that's 24 (laughs) years old but we did just get to see it again in a theater and god he's killing it every second he's on the screen Mm -hmm. 
It's very funny. Anyway. anyway. All, right. All right. That was great. I think, yeah, it was a good summer. And now now we can kind of close the book on it. Look ahead to fall film, fall, fall film festival slash fall film season. Uh, I think we've got the creator on the books coming up next week, hopefully. So, and that's, as Greg mentioned at the top of the episode, two hours ago, um, <laughs> that, that that's going to be, that, that's getting early reviews for that are starting to pique everybody's interest and, and, and seem really good. And so we're really excited to, to see that and review it next week. Uh, Greg, where can people find you on the internet and all of the other millions of podcasts that you do? Uh, always a pleasure. I feel like we, our text chain like two weeks ago got not just dark because I was bitter about movies, but dark because it was like, we should talk to each other. That's fun. Remember, <laughs> yes. we, we like each other. So it's good to be back and good to have this kind of fun, different structure uh, to try it out. And people should definitely let Jen know if they like it and we can come up with more weird games like this uh, in the future. Uh, I am uh, currently a, a weekly guest on the Rebel Base Pod, Rebel Base Card Podcast, where we're doing our uh, Ahsoka recaps every week. Uh, we ask questions that talented shows like Coffee with the Kenobi have the burden of answering, uh, but we just ask the questions and don't bother to, to track them down. Uh, and then I am also doing my continuing project uh, called Through the Glass Columns, which is uh, a podcast that is working its way through the Wheel of Time books. Uh, I think the last time I was on this show, I said we were about to do episodes on the television show. Those were our August episodes. So if people watch the television show Wheel of Time, but aren't readers and want to sample our show, uh, you can find them in our feed on any source. They are. They came out the four Fridays in August. Um, the second season of the television show is apparently really good. Uh, my co-host didn't allow me to watch it, but I'm looking forward to a second set of those episodes, again, for those inclined to watch movies and shows and not read books. No shame. Uh, we'll be there for you. Uh, and you can find my writings at ioncanon.com, which links to my Substack. A long gestating Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny blog post, I swear, is finally coming uh, this week or next week, as soon as I can clear some grading off my plate. All right. The curse, Looking forward the to curse that. grading. The curse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Uh, PT, where can folks find and follow the Long Take Review? Well, they can follow us on Instagram and threads at the Long Take Review. Uh, they can also send us uh, any emails that they'd like to communicate with us in a non-social media uh, venue uh, at the long take review at gmail.com. Uh, and I don't have uh, a Star Wars podcast uh, upon which I can share my Ahsoka views. So that means that Jen and Greg independently and uh, together uh, have to deal with just walls of text for me <laughs> uh, for, uh, after an episode airs and I know that they've seen it. Uh, so uh, my, my condolences to them for having to deal with that. I think we can, we have a bonus episode to do a season a season retrospective in us. I think that would be yeah. appropriate. The long TV review. The long t- <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Great. And you can follow me at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and threads and Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. And you can, you know, we've mentioned a bunch of movies. I realized this episode that I've written reviews about. Uh, on the long take.substack.com. So if you if you follow us 
on your podcatcher, but you're not on the longtake.substack.com. I've got a written review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, of Oppenheimer. I never did a review of Barbie, so I guess I got to do that. Uh, mm. I don't know how that happened. Well, luckily, we're finishing recording early this time, so you can do it tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Whip off a quick 2,000 words on Uh, it. Yeah. Um, Well, we'll get it in tomorrow night. (laughs) In the offer. I know, right? Well, that's that's really, yeah. And you can also, right now, you can find, because because this is what's consuming all of my time, you can find my uh, weekly reviews of Ahsoka on the long take uh, as well. So, this was fun. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. Um, all right. This is us officially starting again. Should I clap so I can see this in the, (laughs) I'm just going to do really loud things. So then when I'm editing this, I'll know where it is. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if that'll work. We'll see. Um, cause I know clapping is the thing people do because they want to sync up the tracks. Um, you you do it all together. So the lines are obvious across them, right? Oh, do we all have to clap? Oh yeah. Ready? Okay. One, one, (laughs) one, one, two, three. (laughs) <laughs> okay leave all of this in <laughs> we're so, we're yeah put this at the end of the episode right, this can be our post credits thing um three, yeah, three what's the next university? category